Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optotheology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick. Uh, we're back with another podcast. We're doing this on um, a book, uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Um, kind of similar in a way to we did a podcast like a couple months ago on the Pilgrim's Regress by C.S. Lewis. That one, we kind of discussed the entire book. We're actually going to s- split this book into uh, a couple of different sections so we're going to go chapters one through four and then we'll kind of move forward throughout the next couple of episodes um, as we move through this book because there's so much here we could probably could have done the same with the pilgrim's regress we probably should chapter have done five that. is my favorite book is my favorite, favorite. In the book yeah. yeah so we aren't even gonna get there in this one but the um so okay so the reason people love the pilgrim's regress one i actually uh so John, the guy who used to be on the podcast, John mm-hmm. Sagatowski, said that he actually started a book club with some people on that book after he listened to our podcast. So that's kind of people like book. to know about these older books. I mean, not super old, yeah. but when, you know, this is orthodoxy is one of the I would say one of the more popular Christian books of the last hundred years. Yeah. Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis said so C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah. Translate. Yeah. What did he translate? But he, he wrote the introduction to a book called On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius for, from the 5th century, right? Okay. Wow. Or 4th century. 4th yeah, century? 4th century. Yeah. And um, it's a really famous book on like, what does it mean that Jesus became, the son the son of God becomes yeah. man, right? Mm-hmm. And it's from literally 1700 years ago. And in that introduction, um, Lewis took time to say yeah. that he had this rule that he, he would read one book from a man from a writer who was living. Yep. Right, and then he would write a, right. read a book by somebody who was dead, preferably yeah. in a different era. Yeah, and he so, said okay. he said because we're we're so caught in the blindnesses of our era yeah. as people just we just drink it in with our with yeah. our mother's milk and there's no way out of it. He said he said now we could read books from the future and they would help us. <laughs> yeah, but he's like we can't access we can't the books from that, the future. Yeah. And so the only way to read out of our time is to read books from the past. He yeah. said so my my absolute Star Wars rule is I'll only, I when I read a book by a living person yeah. I will not read another book by a living person until I read a book by a dead person even if I'm rereading a book yeah. by a dead person. Yeah, and. Lewis was so had read so many books from like the Middle Ages and early Christianity. Was he, and, what was he like a scholar? He his yeah he was t- lecturer of medieval literature. Medieval literature. So at, one of the things at, that makes uh, Lewis Cambridge or Oxford. He taught at both. At both. Yeah, yeah. he he was at. I want to say he was at Oxford, and yeah. then there was an opportunity for him to be promoted, and they didn't promote him because of his Christian views. Yeah, it, I mean, and there were also inter, intramural politics. Yeah, too, and he left for Cambridge. He ended up leaving Dang. for Cambridge. Yeah, wow. but I think his famous house, the Kilns, is in Oxford. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before we get into this, but he old... lectured in other places, like his book, "The Abolition of Man," which is one of the most important books in the English language, in my opinion. Right. Really. He was Stephen Still, and much shorter than any either of these books. Yeah. It, he was four lectures he gave at I don't know Leeds or something like that. Well, and just for a little foreshadowing for people, after we get through orthodoxy. We're going to do, I haven't told you this yet, but The Great Divorce, because I'm reading that right now. I reread it recently. Holy mm-hmm. crap. There's like that book. I, I feel like it's prophetic in a lot. Like he's like, not prophetic. Obviously, he's talking about just people. And, and these issues have been the same throughout time that people face. Mm-hmm. But it feels certain chapters I read and I'm like, I know exactly who he's talking about. Yeah, yeah they're all types. Yeah, right? types of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing, cool thing about. Lewis in some of these books was that he would write about psychological types, even though he was couching it within a Christian context. Right. So screw tape right. letters, you have two right. demons talking, yeah. but he's really doing psychological spirituality. Right. Similarly in yeah. the great divorce, he's doing the same thing. Right. But this gets at Lewis's view of originality that's found in mere Christianity, where he says, if you try to be original, you'll basically be an idiot and just like <laughs> everybody else. Yeah. But if you okay. just try to tell the truth, you'll be different. You'll, you'll by nature get it something that's real that people will connect with and it will be both kind of original and that it'll be a, a, like a re you, this first time you've told this, it it will be you being 
authentic, not just to yourself, but to the but authentically yeah. related to all what's really yeah. there. And yeah. in so yeah, doing, it'll that. be, he said eight times out of 10, you'll be original. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into, that was a C.S. Lewis. Another thing too, for people, uh, C.S. Lewis is an Anglican. G.K. Chesterton is a Catholic. Now people questioned about C.S. Lewis towards the end of his life. Was he turning Catholic, whatever, who knows? Um, and a lot of Protestants have gotten frustrated. A lot of reformed Protestants are frustrated with C.S. Lewis. I watched this. Now I don't love uh, Doug Wilson. He's like hardcore, but he had a real good talk like 20 years ago about how, why C.S. Lewis, like why reformed conservative Christians should read C.S. Lewis. So I'll put the link in the description because it's really good. Yeah, uh, I may I may like Doug Wilson more than you then. Really? Yeah, I mean, I like I like some of the people Doug Wilson doesn't like. Yeah, but I like, but you Doug, like Wilson. Doug Wilson. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I feel like he's doing. I mean, doing. I, okay, work, I'm fine with Doug Wilson. Sometimes I just get annoyed. Sometimes he's also the sort of person that I think people attack stupidly. Sure. And so when I see people sure. like him get attacked the way he gets attacked, I don't pay much attention. Yeah. I usually think less of the people who are attacking him no, because I I've seen this so many times before. With all different people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into this, so because well, you can you can be on somebody like Doug Wilson to ingratiate yourself to people that you should be offending. Sure. Yeah. And lots of people want to do that. They yeah. want they want the people who don't like them. Yeah. Who are gonna not like them if they're faithful right. to Jesus and they speak right. plainly. Um, and so you can throw Doug Wilson under the bus and yeah, say, hey, look, right. I'm, I'm just like you. I don't like stern language and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, muscular that's Christianity. That's true. Yeah. But I think that I yeah, think we do need a more muscular stuff. Christianity. Yeah, I agree. He did a video recently, which I think is worth, would be worth doing at least part of a podcast on where he makes the argument of like, he talks about Kevin DeYoung's like four different kinds of Christians in the culture. Okay. And he says, and he's like a number four under that taxonomy oh, okay uh wilson is yeah and he what he basically argues is, is that one manipulates two and three. Oh wow okay essentially to the, it and he's like yeah there's three different ways to think through being a christian yeah. in the culture but the problem is in the emotional process of the culture mm. two and three get co-opted to one okay and so unless so you've got to have fours if not everybody needs to be a to four. fight like, against you've got to actually to, be able to okay, you've got to realize what's going mm, on okay. not just the literal things people are saying yeah. that moderates because yeah. of wanting to be liked and other emotional processes yep. end up really supporting the one, yep. the one which is essentially a, a progressive view. And I, I, I think he's right about that. And it's one of the reasons why some people are like, Nick, why do you sound more conservative than you are? And it's, and it's because I'm on to that emotional process. Sure. I'm on to the fact sure. that how people are sliding around emotionally yeah, right, right. and what's actually happening with people yeah. as opposed to just the nuances of our views and how we're right. like, I'm this and I'm that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm pretty nuanced personally. Right. But I also know that like um, a certain progressive mindset tends to prey upon nuance in a way right. conservatism can't. Right. Because it functions differently. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, th I also think that I also think that progressivism is more susceptible to sophistry. You know, I thought that I've, I don't know if you did you see the Fox debate with Newsom and I saw pieces of it. What's his name from Florida? Yeah. DeSantis. DeSantis. Yeah. I thought I saw some of it. I, look, here's what I thought. If Newsom runs, he's probably going to win. Not because Newsom is a, yeah. a truth-telling dude. He's five times the snake I thought he was, and I yeah. already thought he was a cobra. And he's, he's unbelievably dishonest. And he's super personable. However, <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of like him. However, he like, I think he would win. Right? Oh, because people would like the face, the, the what he is, what he represents. I think he's very good at, at talking. You know, the one thing that he I He just didn't let any truth be said. He just talked over anytime anybody rebuked yeah. his complete just lies. And he had a way of like saying things that were like true in the most facile kind of sense, yeah. but completely wrong. Yeah. And then he, he knew there wasn't time to yeah. set the record straight. 
We should break that down in a pod. Yeah. Because okay, so what, just real quick before we get started, the so last podcast Nick and I talked about for four hours about gay stuff, gay versus Preston Sprinkles well, versus maybe, maybe an versus, hour and a half in the middle, right? Of the four hours, I, I feel like the last three hours was that okay. I listened to it like three times. So that was that you do the math, and that's you know. But yeah, I listened to him at two point speed. See, I, I, I could do that, but there's something to it. I want to feel like I'm there. Yeah, I guess. You know, it's like it's an out-of-body experience. I'm cool for everybody listening that way, but. I'm okay. in my top 1% on Spotify wrapped. Okay, so the. Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Just real quick, though. People thought that we were pissed off at each other to set the record straight. I don't think I was pissed off at you. I think you're wrong on your view. But I think you would say that you think I'm wrong or just too hardcore. I don't hardcore. know which view, but sure. I think you've always, yeah. there's always reviews that I, think, I have you think are wrong. That you think that I'm wrong or what, what no, did you just I, say? I no, know, I know in our relationship that there are views that I have that you think are that, wrong. Yeah, I'm okay with right. that. Yes, exactly. And, and I, I think, take what you say seriously yeah. People think about just, it, yeah. but I don't just change my view because No, right. And I don't think that's what we should do. But I think that there was a, I think that just because it was four hours of us like going at it, it like in, in a, I, I thought it was a fun bantering way that people might've been like, oh my goodness, this feels weird. And I yeah. think some people were like, are you, are you Nick like yeah. good? No, if we're good. If you had an issue with, with this, you're listening to a podcast, you're not even in the room yeah i would say this is a good time to check your anxiety right and like why are you feeling yeah. that yeah. like we're having a conversation yeah. like let's focus on the conversation if you did recognize <laughs> like my tone shifted at the end because nick had a glock and he kind of like showed it to me he kind of had it under his shirt you were he the like one pulled talking it about up putting a gun to my head i was Remember just that? theorizing yeah. nick brought it into it was a reality experiment. and i was like okay um all right so the okay so orthodoxy by gk chester i think to do kind of a, a profile of gk will be really helpful for people yeah. um his name uh he's, his name keith is chesterton. gk what did you say gilbert, gilbert keith, keith chesterton yeah. so gilbert my middle name is gilbert after gk chesterton no Okay. No, in fact, my, my, I was joking. I have the stupidest name because my name is Nicola Gilbert Gibson. And Nicola is not spelled like the real Nicola. N-I-C-O-L-A. It's just a man's name. Isn't N-I-K-O-L-A like the real one, Nicola Tesla? Oh, that's because it's a different country. Andy, right. in German, the, in German you spell the, it that way. In Italian, you spell the, it N-I-C-O-L-A. Yeah. But I'm that, Italian. You're, right? you're like... But you kind of are like, well, I remember you're talking over the joke, though, because the joke is... I is know. That, uh, no, I know. That the L in like old... Anglo-Saxon or Britain is the B. Yeah. So Gibson means son of Gib. Gilbert means son of Gil. Right. Gil and Gib is the same name. Sure. So Gilbert and Gibson is the same word. So tell me, audience, send me emails. So my son, my name is Nick, son of Gib, son of Gib. Son of Gib, son of Gib. Yeah, it's like basically Gibson Gibson. It's yeah. Nick Gibson Gibson. Is essentially yeah, it, it reminds two, me of like the Apostles Creed. old British Creed. and Anglo-Saxon rather than in just one or of them. It reminds me of the creeds where they're like, like God of God or whatever. You know how they like double it up and you're kind of like. That's, that's a nice way to put it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but I want people to send emails in. Like, is it worse for me to, to like to talk over the joke or for to have to explain the joke? Like, I'm just saying you had to explain it and I, I just talked over it, which I don't think is as bad as having to explain it. So who was G.K. Chesterton? He, yeah. he was a Catholic. Um, yeah. where, where is he from? Kind of what was yeah, his He's, he's British. He's yeah. an English writer. He w lived from 1874 to 1936. Wow. So he kind of was the first part, world war. He was, yeah. Yeah. And he was part of like the end of the romantic period. Yeah. So, okay. so like Freud was alive or like, I mean like Fr Freud's like wow. basically his life was just kind of ending about that time. Yeah. Interesting. Um, 
And so like all that, all the kind of modern things we talk about, like Marx, Darwin, Freud, yeah. Nietzsche, all Schopenhauer, all these people had already written and they were part of the European consciousness. But th- they were, that was the beginning that, that hadn't fully made its way into, uh, into the culture yet at that point. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, had, had? it had totally possessed all those things that totally possessed European culture. That's how you, how you got right. world war one, frankly, in my opinion. So, okay. So, so it had made its way into the culture. I guess I'm thinking about how it's made its way into the culture today. And I suppose it probably, yeah, has made its way into, it made its way into the culture in a, in a different way than it has today. Like they weren't doing like Those, transgenderism and stuff like that, like we have today, which is a, right. which is a result of a lot of that stuff. But, but also communism is a result of all that stuff and things like that as well. Yeah. I mean, part of a part of, so in, in some ways, all of those writers and thinkers were responding to the romantic era. Mm-hmm. And in that, the reason why that's important is because orthodoxy in a way is an attempt to explain how the romantic impulse is correct and healthy. Sure. And that Christianity properly satisfies it yeah. without destroying it. Yeah. And it, nothing else does. Yeah. That's well, essentially what the whole book orthodoxy is about. Do you, do you, would you say that orthodoxy is a book from GK Chesterton's perspective like would you, or not maybe not from his perspective, but the way that I look at it is that G.H. Chesterton is trying to say that the orthodoxy of Christianity is made up in a lot of paradoxes that are gonna Correct. make you feel uh, like the romantic. There's a romantic side of Christianity, and then there's this real objective, hardcore, true side of uh, I don't want to like objectivism side of Christianity and how both of those things like paradoxically play play with each other in how Christianity works itself out in 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 practically in people's lives. Is that kind of like orthodoxy is paradox, which kind of feels weird because paradox feels unstable and orthodoxy literally is stability. Means right belief. Yeah. Means so like, those two things he's trying to even in his definition of orthodoxy is a paradox. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the word orthodoxy, because the word orthodoxy isn't orthologos. It's not right logic. Okay. It's orthodoxa, which is glory. Oh, orthodoxy is okay. right, is correct okay. glorification or right worship. So doxa church is kind of like, that's kind of where that it means came. glory. Glory church. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it, it, so, huh. so it means to glorify what should be glorified. And the doxology is, is, is a glory. Right. Is that a song, right? Doxology, uh, right? It's the glorification, glorification of God. It's a statement of, God. of God's, okay, statement. God's glory, right? Yeah. And so doxologies come at the end of things, and they're usually poetical yeah. affirmations. Okay. Oh, the depths of the riches of the of the glory, you know, like yeah. of, of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how yeah. unsearchable his judgments. That's the doxology section after yeah. the long argument of Romans nine, ten, and eleven. And so it's a very, it is romantic. It, it's and it's and it's, it's affections. It's 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 about your affections and your love, and right. it's very psalms. It's very like the Psalms. Right. In in The Maniac, chapter two, essentially Chesterton argues you can't actually think straight yeah. if you lose relationship to your imagination. Okay, let's before we get to that though, I want to ask. So did GK go to uh college? Yes, he went to public school. Did he go to public school? Because if he did, we can't do I know. No, did really... he go to college? Because uh, Andrew and I were trying to figure out was he like a highly educated I feel like I heard somewhere that he was not a highly educated he was kind of like your everyday guy, but he was just you know what I'm talking about? Or maybe yeah. I'm wrong about that. I know maybe he did go to college, but he wasn't like a C.S. Lewis, like, uh, like high up. Right. He wasn't this like great. Uh, so yeah, he and Lewis lived very different lives, even though they're often put together as like Anglophiles. So Chesterton was essentially like a newspaper writer. Like he, he was, was just a media guy. Yeah. He like, he wow. was, he was, he responded to stuff in the public life. Yeah. Most of his writings yeah. are like newspaper columns. See, there's that like story. If you, if you get his like complete works, yeah, it's mostly not his novels. 
in his books like Orthodoxy. It's like columns he wrote. Did in the he newspaper. work for the newspaper? Or was he just like sending stuff in to the newspaper? To, I think he to did. Publish? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about his career to know that. Okay. But like I have some of his books that like, are just like there's a compilation of his writings on marriage, divorce and romance wow. that I got okay. that like, well, some Catholic priest put together. And it's great. Yeah. But it's all like little. In fact, Snippets. most of his, in most of his public books, like if you go to a website like LibriVox where you can yeah. get books that are in the public domain, yeah. read in audio. Yeah. Um, most of G.K. Chesterton's books, like I listened through eight or nine of his books when I was in deer stands in Florida. Oh, really? And yeah. And most of them are a compilations of his essays. You listen to stuff on the deer stand? I, I, yeah, I used to, yeah, you're not supposed to. Yeah, I know. I, that's why I, I was just, wondering. there was a point where like, I, I cared more about being outside and listening and to this stuff than even if I missed a deer and I've missed numerous deer and the deer stand because I was because not paying attention. Listening. Okay. So mm-hmm. the, um, there's that Including story bucks with like real horns. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a terrible hunter because, because you're listening yeah. to this stuff. If I want to kill a deer, that's my point. I don't listen to anything. You don't listen to anything. No. So there's that story where GK, I'm probably botched this, but GK, there was like a newspaper, they were doing some sort of competition, like what's wrong with the world. And GK comes in and he's like, okay, I'm going to, he like submits his, his, yeah. uh, his article on what's wrong with the world. And it says, uh, dear, whatever. The dear news, gentlemen, dear gentlemen, I am, I am yours faithfully. So that's, he's like a witty, I just imagine it's yeah. kind of like a jolly witty kind of, he's like kind of fat, you know, kind of just like a big, like Santa yeah, kind of guy. Kind of jolly. Yeah. Jolly. And I love, I love that. And he's just a practical, he's like an everyday man. You know, if you're writing in the newspaper, yeah, he you're writing to the cigars, he drank yeah, whiskey. Yeah. He was like a, yeah. he was dirty in the like habit in the good way. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wasn't dirty around women. He's, he, I, as far as I can tell, he's a very chivalrous man. Yeah. You know, married to Wait one common the get a hold of him, normal man. woman yeah. his whole life. And yeah. uh, he married by one. modern standards, like prof- like profoundly sexist in ways that I, <laughs> in ways that I think are defensible, you know, like, but, but let me give you, let me give you his, yeah. like his, maybe his worst view. Yeah. Right. So in one of his articles on um, <laughs> men and, on, on men and women, he said yeah. that he did not believe that women should have the right to vote. And he, he, he was open to them having the right to vote, but he just said women shouldn't have to bother themselves with voting. Voting is a stupid thing done like out in the culture that men should be doing because women by nature are empresses of their households. They don't have, they should not be encouraging in themselves the democratic spirit. Yeah. They're dictators by nature and that's how they should live. They are benevolent dictators. That yeah. is the work of women. Right. And so, but it also misunderstands the democratic process by nature. Whereas men, and so he actually believed that was probably if, if gender roles. Egalitarian society, that was probably gender roles. Yeah. Now I don't think today he would be like, yeah, no, we shouldn't have women shouldn't have the right to vote. Look, because I, he was actually a very strong Democrat, like yeah. he says in in the book. I but not Democrat like Democrat Party, but Democrat like the idea uh, the that little guy. people should yeah. govern themselves, yeah. and that what we share in common yeah. is more than what we are different, and therefore we have a shared franchise. Yeah, I don't disagree with with his view. And I've yeah. I've thought this for a couple of years, but I don't think that women should vote, not because I don't think that women's opinions matter, but I think that if if men and women um, married on the basis of what they believed politically and mm-hmm. theologically, they would agree, like, that, that there's a lot of, people think you can get married and have a family and then not agree right. on things that are I mean, incredibly I mean, on important. one level, like, so, okay, so first of all, just to be clear, I think women should have the right to vote, and I think you do, right? Like, that no, they should, I, I that mean, they, they should they, have the right to vote, at least, even if they do or don't use it. It depends on what you mean by the right and where, and the okay. right to so vote. So, I think and women in our society from. should have the right to vote. Based on an egalitarian but think, perspective, then sure. Yeah, but I, I don't, I'm not egalitarian. But I think that part of the issue is we already believe that not everybody should have the voting franchise because children don't vote. And right? criminals don't vote. 
At least, yeah, at least some right of now. them. Yeah, some of them. <laughs> if you will if, soon. If you if you've committed a crime that's bad enough, right? Let's say. Okay, yeah. so so you still have a husband and wife voting for the, their family. Yeah. So you have somebody voting for other people, right? So the old view of democracy was a husband votes for his household. Yeah. Right. And so you would think that the wife would have input into that. She would be She's constantly talk to expressing her husband. to totally, the husband. Totally. Here's what's good for our household based yes. on all the things I'm saying. Yes. All the things I'm yeah. doing. What about our children? Well, and then he's going to take and that then into he's consideration. He's got to go out there and, and vote for their it. family. Right. 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 Um, I think if you said to Chesterton, hey, but our society is like 60 percent single now. We just don't even have households. He would say, well, that's too bad. It means your society is sick and dying. Yeah. Right. And he'd say, OK, but in the meantime, in should cool women way. have the right to vote? He, I, he'd probably say yes. No. Yeah, because I don't want to talk because for in, GK. His, in his world. I don't know if in his should. world. Every got married, but don't no, I agree anyway, with that. So anyway, I don't want to get bogged down okay. in what might be his worst view, but like part of it was or his best. Maybe we implement or, yeah, it. And it. But part of it is society. like Chesterton's Chesterton's way of looking at the world was he had this kind of disagreeability to yeah. him. If everybody in his era was saying women should have the right to vote, he was prone to be like, well, well, he he would naturally think about, well, what would be a, the best possible defense showing yeah. that women were amazing and in which they wouldn't have like yeah. what, what's the other way of looking yeah. at it and, and that, that you would have to agree with what he thinks about women but you disagree on how, how it should function right we're like he yeah. would get to this conclusion that yeah. maybe women shouldn't vote even yeah. if they had the right yeah but yeah. it's because women are are too good to vote yeah like oh, and, oh, and oh, man yeah. that's kind of a weird way to argue but, but whether Chester- or not that's right yeah chesterton's like attitude of like being disagreeable to his times and all the yeah. truisms, everybody's just like regurgitating. Yeah. He's like, right. What if the opposite actually is true? Yeah. And in the kind of era he was living in, romanticism was dying yeah. because things like world war one were happening. Right. Like yeah. there was this starkness oh, to the world. So he saw that happen. Right. And so romanticism time. had risen in the 1800s mm. by people like Byron, but it was this kind of stark, disgusting, like, like remember the book we did with, about with Clavin, where he was talking yeah, about different kinds of romanticism, yeah. the truth of the beauty, yeah. how there was like a kind of like masculine-ish, yeah. but also selfish and yeah. Yeah. like kind of romanticism that had risen up. And so people had kind of cooled on the idea of romanticism yeah. and they were moving to like a stark modernism, right? right. Where even right. in the book he talks about like some people were romanticizing suicide from yeah. a modernist perspective. Yeah. And he's like, this is all so stupid. Like yeah. there is a good romanticism that gives wonder to the world yeah. that alivens our imagination correctly. So it comes rightly in relationship with logic and reason. So that yeah. we're not just thinking reasonably in a circle, yeah. but the circle is big enough to yeah. be as big as the universe rather than this tiny circle of insanity. So how, how you reason. see this play out in real time is like uh, after World War II, the way that buildings were constructed and architect were a lot different than they have right. been historically in general. You know, you lose right. a lot of, a lot of flesh. Why go through the inefficiency of beauty? Exactly. If fluorescent right. lights, concrete, it just very ugly, you know, Jordan Peterson said, and he did a talk on beauty that we went to, I went to see live. He was just like, if you want to like find the worst place in the world, go to the psychology department at your local university. Like mm-hmm. that, like that he's like concrete cinder block, like just, just he's like it'll make you want to die. I mean, you mm-hmm. walk in there, and so he like his and that first seems weird, goal, right? Because yeah, because it's psychology, is the exa- alivening or yeah. healing of the human mind. Yeah, but because yeah, be, de- determinists don't believe in imagination. Do you want to know the story that he told about that real quick? So he said that when he first got to Toronto, they gave him his office, and he was like, it was the most hideous thing he's ever seen. So he spent like a ton of time trying to make it as beautiful as he possibly could, but he had to go through all, jump through all these hoops because the administrators didn't want him to look good because they hate beauty and stuff, and he was just going off about it and like. It took forever for him to try to make this room look good so that he could actually counsel people, like help mm-hmm. people in this room. And he finds out five years later or something like that, that um, 
after he had finished making his room beautiful, which, which he had to go through all of these hoops to do and that nobody wanted him to do it. He finds out that when they try, then they brought new professors to the university mm-hmm. and they showed him around the place. They took him they to his office. They would take him to his yeah. office and show his office. Yeah, and that makes like, so much sense. You'll have this much freedom to do, like, make your room look like this. And he was just like, oh my goodness. Like, that, yeah. that is, that's crazy. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the things you'll find both in Chesterton and in Lewis and in other Anglophile writers like them was they were witnessing the growth of the bureaucratic state. Yeah. That things were being done through bureaucracies because in the late 1800s, um, this was associated with von Bismarck from Germany. That yeah. This idea that like, if we organize everything more, if we get everything organized in these like great bureaucracies, modern society can do things that never could have been imagined before through yeah. organization. Right. They didn't have computers yet, but they were like, if we had the right bureaucrats, if we had the right people counting things, the right like. The, the right like um and that's why the modern that's how the modern school system was developed right it's like yeah. people sitting in chairs in rows, counting numbers yeah. writing sentences factory it was very factory focused you were going to get out and you were going to be a factory well worker. sort of andy but like you don't need schooling to work in a factory no i know it's crazy. at least then you didn't yeah what you needed was what bismarck needed and the quote modern society yeah. needed was actually white collar cogs that's true that's true they needed people who could read and write and do math who yeah. could do arithmetic and could like stamp forms that's true they, they were like literary okay that's true like yeah. um pe- factory workers essentially yeah and in so doing you could organize the society and do stuff now bismarck was right in one sense that you could organize and do things that yeah. almost nobody could that's what got him to the point where he thought he could like take over all of europe <laughs> right in world war one but the, yeah. the problem is wow. is that it what just chesterton saw was it was a disgusting society. Like yeah. it, was, it just you lost everything of the imagination, everything right. of beauty, everything of yeah, like in bureaucracy you that was like the clean indi- and healthy yeah, and, and right. spontaneous and, and the individuality, the the individual, the individual innov- innovation. People when people are just doing the same things and they're not allowed to mm-hmm. even even think outside of this little tiny box right. or this Everything's cubicle. Everything's governed by rules. Exactly. Right. Like you, you have try no stewards to do something anymore. All you have is every, people become machines. Okay, I'm going to... Right. Like, in part yes. of it, you could be like, yeah, well, people are really unpredictable yes. and they do stupid crap and they discriminate totally. against others. So like, why can't we have all these rules? But the other thing is, yeah, but once you make a human being a machine, you've reduced him by 85% They're of his capacity. They're not even a person anymore. So, right? so like, what, like, they can't make their own exactly. decisions. You have no stewards. You basketball just have Basketball is a primary example of this. James Naismith is quoted saying, basketball is a sport to be played, not to be coached. He knew that he wanted the game to be creative and people to try mm-hmm. new things. And once he, he knew that it would start to get really system, uh, systematized, it, people wouldn't be able to actually create within the bounds of the court anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it was all about systems and, and all of these Playing like the game, the most efficient way possible. And yeah. And it's right. like, and you it, lose all of the beauty. That's why yeah. people and love that's Jordan happened, and, and all I these have guys. no interest in watching a professional basketball. It's, game. it's, it's really boring. I mean, you look, yeah. you go back to watch the eighties and nineties, you have like Jordan and magic and bird. Right. And it's like, they're just throwing like stuff up they're behind their head. And like, yeah. if it goes in, it goes in. That's what people fell in love with. Uh-huh. And even then it was still systematized. Now yeah. it's at a whole level where it's like, yeah, it's like roll robots going up in X's and it's literally X's and O's. And yeah, you right. have some players who play outside of the box, but it's like, yeah, which is similar to the money ball system in baseball, right? Exactly, it's like, right. okay, we get the guy who gets it. And like on one level, that's a, a really good way to win, win and make money. Right. Yeah, if and, you, if winning is the the goal, which it is it's the not goal. a way to make it interesting. Exactly. And, and I think enjoyable. that the problem in sports yeah. where you, you get a better way to win, uh-huh. but you're creating a much less interesting thing for the fan. Yeah. So that right. you get you might get fewer fans over the long term. Yeah, I wonder is, how that's that's a shape similar up. difficulty to what Chesterton is saying happens with like society at society large. of the society of bureaucrats, right? Is like yeah. when you get so modernistic that you can no longer be romantic, wow. on one yeah. level you do get a quote better society. You have more money, consumerism functions better, you can make more widgets, people are in that sense richer. Wow. But you lose the like 
this sort of like spontaneous, spontaneous humanity of like spitting and swinging sticks and yeah. screwing around. And you, you get a culture in which everybody's rich and nobody has a sense of humor. Yeah. Wow. And, and then you wonder why people want to put a bullet in their head. Yep. Right? Seriously. Yeah. And Chesterton saw that he saw that modernity would create humorless, like men without chests, like near do wells, yeah, like people who, who are can't have fun. Can't right. Because they didn't have the right kind of romance because the bad kind of romance yeah. that had been portrayed in the, this, the era before him yeah. couldn't produce healthy romance. I mean, it was, it goes back to Lewis's um, castrate the horses, then bid the geldings be fruitful. Or it's I'm, like you take away yeah. the very way something really lives. Honestly, well, I'm thinking about the, the hobbits, no life. the hobbits in, in middle earth. Like I, I've thought I've talked to Andrew about the, how our culture or whatever, like growing up, like, you know, we, we never went to like dance, like we, you go to like prom and stuff, but mm -hmm. that was just like a, like a horror fest, to be honest with you. Like everybody's banging each other afterwards. It's not how it is. If your kids are going to that, you should ask them what they're doing afterwards. But the, 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 there, there, we look at, <laughs> and like, I'm sure they'll be honest with you. <laughs> they'll tell you the truth. Um, the, the, uh, the, we would look at like, you know, uh, Tolkien's world or even at the past, you know, you, you read like Charles Dickens, uh, you know, and like, it seems like the culture, like people were dancing that have dance party, like, like the holidays were this big thing. And there was, there was a lot more things that maybe today we'd think feel, we maybe feel uncomfortable. Like if we threw like a, like a, a suit and tie dance party at high point mm -hmm. and it was like, you had like a live band and everybody was like dancing, having fun. I'm sure some people would have fun, but I think a lot of people would be like, just without even thinking like, I don't like this. Like, I don't right. like the way this and they looks. Wouldn't, the and they wouldn't feels. actually dance. And then on the other side right. of it, you'd have people who would like, like hoe it up, like be a hoe, like, be, like, and I'm going to talk about girls, like people who would they only would just, be in it for the sexual for attention rather exactly. than the enjoyment of the dancing. enjoyment of the thing. And so you right. run into this problem today where you can't enjoy stuff like that because you either have the prudes who don't want anybody to dance or even look at, anything that p reminds them of anything sexual. Then you have the other people who only want to do sexual stuff all the time. And mm -hmm. so I think, do you think Chesterton is speaking to those groups of, I guess they didn't have both of them back then. You're saying they're more like the, if pr is prude the right way to put it? Probably yeah, not. Yeah. So what, Ch what Chesterton would say, and there's actually a strain of this in Catholic thinking that like mod modern, the, the reason why Chesterton at some points picks on Puritans is because oh, he, yeah. what he recognizes is that, Lust isn't necessarily the worst sin. What is it like murder? Like, if if lust it goes together with fertility and virility and living life and taking hold of things in the present, there's there's a little bit of good in it, as opposed to like pride. That there's just it ruins everything. Okay, and, just and so for he, the sake of distinction, so people don't get mad. You're, I'm, I'm you're not saying, not lust is saying good. that lust I'm just is saying good. Lust, treating lust like it's the worst sin. Right. Is probably wrong. But there's a distinction between lust and proper sexuality. That Absolutely. Be beauty. So you're saying people have convoluted. So maybe he's saying people have convoluted. They've taken beauty and thrown it in. The Puritans took beauty even and threw it in with lust and just said, we're done with the whole thing. In the same way that they took the wedding ring and said, well, the Catholics are using the wedding ring. So it must be like some sort of heresy. So we're just going to throw the whole thing out. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like you're not yeah. saying there's a piece of lust I th that's I think good. what Roman Catholics have tried to, because of their theology, is that grace perfects nature. Yeah, that's they, true. That's true. Okay. They believe that you have to embrace the world while still hating it. Like this in chapter five. Yeah. So not the chapters we're supposedly discussing today. Yeah. But in chapter five, Lewis says, or sorry, Chesterton says, um, you have to be able to see the world simultaneously as an ogre's castle to be stormed and your own hearth 
to sit by the fire okay. at, at night, your own cottage, right? You have to see it as both at the same time. And if you see it only as one, it will destroy you. Yeah. Either way, if you think the world is just this wonderful place, you'll yeah. get disillusioned. Yeah. Okay. Right. And you'll lose it. Yeah. Or if you see the world is only a place to be attacked and reformed, you won't love it enough to actually do any real reforming. Yeah. I agree with right? that. Right. Yeah. And he's like, so you have to see it both at the same time. You have to, and not only both, but you, fanatically both. You yeah. have to love it incredibly just because it is what it is. Yeah. And you have to fanatically want to reform it. And he said, only Christianity can do that, can create both yeah. of those simultaneously People can without one destroying the other. Yeah. Okay. So, but for, and that requires a kind of romanticism. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because both aren't literally true at the same time. Right. And but they so, are both true. Right. And so the first thing he starts talking about in this book is, is I would say like reason. So he starts talking about like, quote unquote, the maniac right. in air quotes, like the maniac. And this is like somebody who, is completely and totally reason and logic focused. That's how I would put it, right? Is that kind of what it is, or is that not a good way of putting it? Reason and logic focused. Like yeah, somebody, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, again, that's kind he's of right. not anti reason and logic, right. but and he explicitly says so. Yeah, right? but somebody who's so, and he uses like uh, the guy who wrote. The, the guy we talked about before who wrote uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, the poet. Oh, Cooper. Who, Cooper. He uses Cooper as an example. And he like doesn't, he like talks about John Calvin and some of these guys who. Yeah. Chesterton believes reason can fixate. Yeah. Sometimes exactly. on, and, and, and therefore reason creates a narrower and narrower world. And what gets lost is the peripheries of imagination that give a completeness and a wholesomeness to everything. So define reason for people that, that they can understand how that can hone in and become destructive. So in Chesterton's view, right, modernism confuses empiricism for rationality. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Or, or truth for rationalism. So if you can come up with an unbending set of reasons why something is true then that and is, nothing else okay. can be true then the thing must be true and Chesterton is like that's not necessarily true at all there's there's all kinds of i mean you can't actually still prove that the thing is in fact true let me just ask a quick question and we don't have to talk about this very long but is this kind of your issue with with rosaria's uh reasoning from the fall to uh kind of that that issue that we had in the last podcast where rosaria like uh from the getting from the fall to homosexuality that there's like, yeah, you can reason through it, but it doesn't necessarily. Is that what you were saying? I think there was a point in that podcast where I said Rosaria was putting, was saying if a, then B, if B, then C. And I didn't think the, if B, then C was true. I I just didn't agree with that. Okay. That's not like this. That's not really what Chester. My main issue with Rosaria is I didn't feel like that passage that she was quoting. She didn't, she either hadn't read the whole thing or wasn't arguing in context because what, what, um, Preston Sprinkle was essentially saying is there was there is the fall itself as the curse, and then there are the effects of the fall that come downstream from it as people sin. Okay, and he said it it could be the curse itself manifested in our biology, let's say. Okay, but it also could be something manifest later in under the curse in the sinful world as people sin against each other. Because that was the example he gave. Yeah. Well, in that sense, Christianly speaking, both are the result of the fall. Sure. Right. And so in that sense. Sprinkle is not not wouldn't be denying that it's an effect of the fall. He's just denying that it is literally the event of the fall itself and the curse of God in the fall on creation that explicitly was the direct proximate cause of an intersex condition. And Sprinkle's like, I don't know why we would necessarily believe that. There's all kinds of other reasons that could be more proximate. And I think he's right about that. I think Rosaria took the passage out of context, Frank frankly and i and miss and so part of the issue is i'm with i'm actually with rosaria i'm concerned about sprinkle's work 
but you got to have some there there if you're going to sure. go after him. And the there there is, I just don't think are very there. Okay. So we'll, and, and we'll, listen, you, you know that like listening to Preston Sprinkle makes me crazy. No, I get it. I but get like it. Rosaria is so definite, but I actually don't think a implies B and B implies C in some of her statements. I just, I, I just don't think it's that clear. Sure. And so in that sense, maybe that makes me sound like I'm equivocating, but I'm not. It's like if a doesn't imply B, then your A to C doesn't work. Well, I it's, don't, it's yeah. not, it, it may be right. Right. It's not deductive. And, Te- and Teshi yeah. would say something similar. He'd yeah. say like, he'd say, look, there are things that are true that you may have a extremely difficult time building a rational case for, but sure. human common sense can perceive it. And that's actually healthier and truer. That's why in ethics of Elfland in chapter two or three, whatever it is, he's like, it's common sense in some ways is healthier than right. unmoored rationality. Cause rationality yeah. keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower right. until it's insane. Yeah. And so he uses Cooper as an example yes. of this. Yeah. That Calvinism's one of Calvinism's doctrines is predestination. And if you fixate <laughs> mentally on predestination You're gonna go crazy. long enough, you can go crazy. And that's true. So this has been, this has been like a really difficult thing for me. Cause I, I'm, one, the, the, you know, we're not going to get off on the Rosaria thing. Like th- that conversation will continue in the future. I, I can assure people. Both of them are invited out whenever they wish to come. Whenever they w- want to come on. I've tweeted at Preston, you know, whatever. Um, but I've really struggled because there's a piece of me that reads C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton. And I would say C.S. Lewis and him are in a similar vein in that they, I think they both submit to uh, what a denomination, uh, Anglican or or Catholic Church, believe to be like this absolute truth. I think they submit to that in their functionality and practical faith, but in their writings, they're much more like small l liberal in their kind of openness to different kind of views. Yeah, they're and, more and, liberal because they're more conservative. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I, but th- that's what makes the ultra reformed people really uncomfortable. They don't like when people start to move outside, like think outside of the stuff. And so, but I read stuff like Chesterton and what he's saying about reason and logic. And then I think about, but I'm also like, I, I don't know how, what other way to look at predestination or at mm-hmm. things like that. I It seems like predestination either means things are predestined or they're, or they're not. not. Like I, I right. look at it and I'm like, and I also look at Arminianism and I'm like, that really, like I've read a decent amount on it and some real good people just doesn't it doesn't fit the way like i can see a couple of verses where i'm like yeah i'm yeah, I think it's with con- it. i think it's totally rational you could like argue i don't think it's contradictory but i have trouble exegetically that the passages it's quoting that that's what those passages actually mean uh, arminianism I, I think arminianism yes. is exegetically weaker yeah that's mm-hmm. that's that's basically I, I think where i've come interpreting like, the bible a couple, passages right and and in and in sheer volume it's like there's a lot more on the predestined the 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 predestination and the will of god working itself out in humanity mm-hmm. than there is on like falling away from the faith or something yeah like but that. one of the, my fears though is that and this is what chesterton is getting at without the aid of a sort of imaginative romantic common sense, which I think he would argue is everywhere in every text of the Bible. What will happen is we'll read the passages on predestination in Ephesians one or in Romans nine. Yeah. And those will actually become oppressive to us because we'll over apply them. Yeah. Like humans are so prone to this one thingism, yeah. where we go, this is the thing. Like the problem with our country is Republicans. The yeah. problem with it, you know, yeah. the problem yeah. with my life is right. You know, like, this person who's toxic My or husband like or something, everybody or wants wife, like this yeah. one answer. And yeah. the problem is the world just doesn't work that way. Yeah, right. Right. Other than the one answer is we don't submit to God. Right. Like right. that, like, but that's a bit, that's a big answer. Right. Yeah. So I think what 
what what Chesterton wants to get is if you narrow yourself down on anything, because like if you believe in Calvinism, yeah, as a Christian, I think for the most part you're going to be fine. If you believe in it broadly, yeah, and if you believe in all of the doctrines work together, and in it you see yeah. the glory of God and His beauty, yeah. and can mm-hmm. be glad in God, right? If you get focused on the fact that what makes Calvinism work is a certain interrelationship between an absolute view of of depravity, yeah, that the good in man is erased, not just contaminated, essentially, and that therefore only predestination and God's monergistic work in salvation, that God only exerts energy in human salvation. Right. The problem is once you walk, once you get that in you, the problem is, is like what people find is in the bigger commonsensical way of living their life. They're like, well, then how, wait, how can anybody be responsible for what they do? Right. And you end up becoming like the modern social worker. <laughs> who believes in such neurological determinism that nobody could change. Nobody could be better. They just are what they are. They're just a product of their environment. They can't. And you essentially yeah. believe that everybody is the, just simply the result of predestination and, and reprobation. Yeah. And you really, you, even though doctrinally you want to believe that there, and so what Chester would say is um, the way Cooper saved his soul, even though he was a Calvinist to his death was he at moments kind of romantically stopped believing where Calvinism took him yeah. and believed in Gilpin or like, these other more romantic Christian doctrines, like that we do have free will that I, we, yeah. we can make choices that we, yeah. God calls us responsible that I can do something in the present and it really matters and means something. And therefore I can take wonder in a tree or a grass or in the gospel. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened to Cooper is he was able to overcome. He didn't stop being a Calvinist, but what happened is that tiny circle. So in the maniac Chesterton says yeah. the, the, the people who are the most committed to logic aren't just the chairs of philosophy, but they're also the people in the crazy house. Oh people yeah, who I thought that insane. was a real good point. And he said, because and if you could talk with those people, you're never going to win an argument. <laughs> Their logic is completely. And he's like, if you want to try to help them, don't say you're wrong. Say your circles too. Your perfect circles too small. Like if you are Jesus Christ, yes, of course the world would deny your divinity. Yeah. You're right, but do you really believe that the love you find in yourself is the greatest love that there could possibly be? Is there yeah. no better creator than you? Yeah. Like, huh. or if you, if you believe that everybody's after you, like, don't you think you'll be much freer when you walk out on the street, and realize that nobody cares about your life at all. Right. And that's what you're actually afraid of. That's a psychological or even a romantic way of looking at the world. And he said, that's the only cure. You can't cure people who've gone deranged by reason with reason. I you think, need something yeah. else. I also think that there's, so the thing, I think people listen to the podcast think, they might think that I'm this like super conservative guy, but I, I think that there's distinctions that I haven't been able to make or talk about in that I, when it comes to like uh, the, the local church and the function of the local church and the governance of the local church and my submission to the local church, mm-hmm. I think I am pretty conservative. It's got to be like, there's got to be structures. There's got to be clarity. There's got to be stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I think people would be surprised outside of the local church when I'm like at home thinking about stuff or whatever, reading books. I I feel like I align a lot more with like a C.S. Lewis or a G.K. Chesterton. Like I want to go to the church and be structured. And then I want to go everywhere else and think about how everything works. Mm-hmm. And that like, I have found that to be like repulsive to a certain sect of Christianity, to the ultra reformed, ultra conservative. They, they want, I don't know how to explain it. They want the church to be ordered and then they want the world to be as ordered as the church in that way. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense. I don't think that can even, I don't think that's even possible. Yeah. Because their version of order, it's not even desirable. It doesn't make Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how that could possibly happen. Like I, my goal for a functioning society 
is like a a a a, a, a somewhat agreed upon moral ethic. I don't know. Like I don't even think you're going to be able to get there. But I just want it somewhat agreed upon moral mm-hmm. ethic that like maybe more than fifty percent of people can like get behind in some mm-hmm. capacity, and then I think things go a lot better. But as for like all of the functions and everything like that of how that works itself out, I could give a crap. I don't know. Like if people want to go do what they want to do with that, fine. But I think that that's kind of where Chesterton and 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 even C.S. Lewis and some of these older guys. Like I want the structure in the church. They both went to very structured churches. Mm-hmm. The, the, Anglicanism and Catholicism is like that's because as structured as you get. Other, yeah. I mean, in some ways, um, those are the only games in town. And yeah, that's true. That's in true. those days, but yeah, I but think they're that's pretty true. structured. Yeah, and they're they're participating. I mean, even in even that. the great quote evangelical pastor yeah. John Stott was Anglican. So how do you? He's so this Anglican podcast. Priest. Some people think this podcast is like a conservative podcast. Mm-hmm. How do you? So people who listen to it maybe are lean conservative. How can these people take what Chesterton is saying when it comes to like the maniac and the person taking reason and logic to its to its like finality in this kind of circular uh, thought process? I mean, we I know people yeah. who have taken the Calvinistic thing and just run amok with it. And there's a certain right. level to me that I've thought like I've seen other people take it, go crazy, right. and then leave the faith or kill themselves. Or and then I'm like, okay, I yeah. trust in your that case, that's you true. Literally mean that you like have a friend that you yeah. feel like. That that, kind that of played a part, huge part. And then, and then, but I look at Calvinism, and I'm like, as I'm, I don't allow myself to think about it to a certain extent. Of course, like yeah. because I know that it's going to take me to that dark place. So yeah, I just if say, you spend, I'm not if you think spend, about it. so part of the part of the argument he makes, I think this might be in chapter three, where he's arguing about democracy. How he starts okay. this idea, and he says, "I've always been a Democrat in the sense that I believe in that we should be." And in 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 that sense, he believes democracy over aristocracy. Oh. And then he essentially says, kind of gets it there, that the aristocracy of the nobility yeah. is being replaced with the aristocracy of the knowledge classes. And he's against both. And so, Oh, he's against both. So it's because, because by going against aristocracy, on one sense, like, of course, everyone's like, yeah, we hate aristocrats. He's like, yeah. And the new knowledge class are the new aristocrats. So do you think he, him, Which and, is true. him and Deneen would disagree with each other then? Deneen? No, I think Deneen is probably against a culture of ruling elites other than maybe the ones he favors. I mean, so, so yeah, I think the Catholics. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Chesterton would think about if the, if the Roman Catholic church could, I don't think he would want the Roman Catholic church to rule things. I think he would say would corrupt the church. You think so? But isn't that one of the, like fun, the, the fundamental principles of the Catholic church that one of their goals is to, is to bring the kingdom of God to earth in that way. And that, that like Christendom, or is that not the Catholic? Yeah, it, yeah, but vision. within Christianity, views that believe that there will be increasing success, which I just I struggle with finding evidence for that in the Bible. Increasing success, like that Christians will win over the world in one way or another. That seems like it directly there's, contradicts there's Revelation. A, it does seem that way. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but at the same time, like there are a number of versions of that, right? Like there's the old modernist one that the American liberals, big L like, like, like um, the people Machen hated, right. They oh, just okay. thought the world was just going to get better and better through um, the advent of like modernity. Yeah. And, and so do, and then as long as liberal churches could keep everybody moral, we would overcome our evolutionary um, like violence and stuff like yeah. that. And we would actually the grow pr- into the kingdom, like, right. And the world would become yeah. a, the kingdom of God. That's why they, they named their magazine, the Christian century at the beginning of 1900. Cause they thought that the 20th century would be the Christian century. Cause finally we were modern enough 
they would guide us morally. Dude, that's crazy how bad that, that's like the and worst then, backfire right, of all time. Right, the 20th I mean, century was, was arguably the worst moral century in the history of the world, right? Other if, than Jesus you, being killed, you, I mean, if yeah. You count, if you count, if you do it by body count, it's yeah. by far the worst in the history of the world, right? Do you think it's worse than when Jesus was killed? Uh, I would think if Jesus' death pays for the sins of everyone, then his death could Is condemn the everyone. Thing. Yeah, but So that was the greatest century of all time. The the wor- the greatest day and the worst yeah in a way but but yeah. I I also think like generally speaking to say the 20th century was the worst oh, century is that. perfectly it's insane fine. yeah 100 million people died in 30 years it, it wasn't yeah. even like the and, whole and murdered like just like, just, just blown into just smithereens yeah wor- like worthlessly destroyed yes oh, and, you and gotta watch Oppenheimer and, and that does, and that doesn't even count like the people that got murdered in places like Africa during that time because we weren't paying attention no right? and South America and the rest of the world yeah yeah and so um. Yeah, like Belgian Congo, I think was still in the in the 20th century. So anyway, the point is is that <sighs> what Chesterton says is in in old Europe you had the aristocracy, yeah, and they controlled everything, right? Yeah. And they controlled the common people, right? And over yeah. this the course of the Anglo-Saxon Revolution in England from Magna Carta onward, power was wrestled from the king to the lords to the common man, democratically, right? But at the same time, what happened is the English people were estranged from the land. So you had all these people who could like vote, yeah, but they didn't own any property. Right. right. And all the property in England was spoken for. There was no West to win. There was nowhere to go. Yeah. You weren't going to go. And get so property, part of the issue huh? with industrial England was you had all these people who had, act, who, who were basically servants on land who didn't have any land. And so then they all got like offset to cities and they were living these pretty terrible urban lives that Dickens was writing about, right? Of Don't thieves th- guilds and terrible factories and people dying of tuberculosis. You think mod, so like if, if those people from that time came to today and they saw people like selling their land and stuff, would they think like what they would be like, what, are you what doing? is wrong with you? Why would right. you sell your land? To, to live in an apartment building? Yeah. yeah they they would would say say to New York city and sell 400 acres. They would be like, you're an idiot. I think they'd, th- I, they think they, I don't even know what they would think. That's they, crazy. They, they might, but I don't know that they'd. They'd like, buy the land. Par- part of the issue is like the inner city of today in America is nothing like the inner city of 18, yeah, it was like, 27 it was like or 18, garbage 30. everywhere. It smelled terrible. Yeah. Like, no, literally diseases everywhere diseases, like, that would kill yeah, you and all yeah. your children. Have you ever seen And those? that's just not really true. Even in the worst yeah. parts of America, you're not dying of tuberculosis and cholera. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so. There's those cool videos on, that are like restored, like 1920s, or even like they go back as far as like the 1910s, restored videos of like downtown New York. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen those? They're pretty sweet. They're like on YouTube. You can just watch oh, yeah. like 20 minutes of just like a street in New York in the 1920s. Yeah. People running around now. It's on these old cameras and it's restored. And I, yeah, like it looks cool, yeah. but it's like, yeah, it probably smells like crap. But yeah, if you go back yeah. to the, so like, um, if you go even today to like a, a garden store, there are types of tomatoes named after New Jersey. Oh, really? And well, the tomato is a tropical plant yeah. from China. Like, why would New Jersey be the best place in America? Why, why would New Jersey be famous for tomatoes? And the answer is because New York City produced something around two to five tons of horse manure every day. And that had to go somewhere. And so it got put on barges. It shipped to New Jersey. That would suck. And they, then job. they distributed it to farms. So New Jersey became one of the most fertile places in the planet because it was getting tons of free fertilizer just just every day. And so it became this this like bread basket, basically. And so for growing garden plants that you could then ship back to New York City that would be purchased. So tomatoes were very fragile fruit. So when you pick them, you needed to get them in people's houses in a day or two. 
right? right? Especially heirloom varieties from a hundred years ago. Yeah. What better thing to do than to put them on a barge that's going to go back to New York City and sell that, them on the market, right? And yeah. sell them there, right? And yeah. so, so New Jersey tomatoes became famous, right? Oh. But it was because there were like, there were herds of pigs. Like if you were really poor in New York City in the 1700s, there were herds of wild pigs roaming around the city that occasionally ate children <laughs> that you could fill out a form in New York City. This is what I was told, at least in my American history up to 1860 class in undergrad, okay. that like you could fill out a form and get the right to kill one of these pigs to feed your family. And then you would, you would do it. You would like catch one of these pigs and kill it and you'd feed your family with it. That's right? how things should Like be. Gangs of New York is not that far off. I mean, it was really that brutal in lots of ways. Yeah, people like kind of, I think, romanticize all that that time period, and it was extraordinarily brutal. That's why I don't like the trad wife thing. On, I just think it's ridiculous. You put any of those girls in the 1920s, and they'd probably kill themselves. Like, I'm not even being over. I mean, like, yeah. they have no idea how to face any adversity. You are on Instagram yeah. all day taking videos of yourself. I know. I don't know. What to yeah, tell you. I mean, people do. Yeah, people forget. Like, did did you listen to the Barry Weiss? Uh, did the sexual revolution fail? I haven't listened to the whole thing. I started it. It'll drive you crazy. I mean, it, it's it's not a debate. It's uh, the, not the, interesting. The intro video had like uh, boobs on it, so I was uh, like, "Whoa!" All of the all of the um, all the people that were in the debate were very interesting people. Yeah. And if you listen to them in longer Grimes form in elsewhere, that. yeah, I thought she was pretty silly. But I get Isn't where she was she coming married from. Married to Elon Musk or something? Who I think he? she's with Elon Musk. I don't right. know the Elon nature Musk of their arrangement. Marry. He just has kids. Yeah, so that's what he does. Right. She sounded a lot like a girl. Elon. It's like a girl who'd been talking to Elon Musk a lot. Yeah. You know. Um, I don't even know what that sounds like. Yeah, though. but essentially the argument, their argument, what the pro argument was: the sexual revolution is everything we like that happens to women, and nothing that we, not, none of the results. So the immediate causes that we asked for are the sexual revolution. Yes. The secondary results that must happen on the basis of the first things, none of that's the sexual revolution. That's just modernity. And so if that's what you think, then of course you win because basically like being able to control your own fertility, being able to not be raped by your husband, all that stuff everybody loves, right? Which wasn't, I want to be clear. There's no evidence that being raped by your husband was common. Okay. There's no evidence of that. There's yeah. Their argument was there are numerous states in which if a woman was like, I don't give consent, that was irrelevant because being, getting married is giving consent, which of course it is, but that doesn't mean right. That, that doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want with your wife. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't it's think general consent for the rest of our lives. That, we're that doesn't mean sex. you can rape your wife. Right. But right? it also doesn't mean you can just withhold sex for the rest. Definitely. Your- correct. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's supposed to be a loving give and take. Yeah. In a covenantal it's relationship, supposed to be playful of love. if it's healthy. Like if you're at the place where you're just like, either I want to like rape my wife or I'm never going to have sex, sex with my yeah. husband again. You need to. You probably need go some to help. counseling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like find help. Please. Okay, so so what what one things Chesterton is getting at here in terms of that is he he first starts with it with what everybody believes, right? Which is aristocracy controlling everything is bad. Yep. That 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 and and what Lewis says is there's some or not Lewis, sorry. What Chesterton says is there's some things. That we believe probably should be done by experts, but that everybody should be do for themselves. And he says, like, blowing your nose is one of those things. I got to blow my nose right now. Yeah, there's tissues right behind you. Um, it, oh, he also said writing your own love letters. Like, if you think, like, I should write a love letter to my wife. And you think, well, but I know a guy who's really poetic who would write a better love letter. 
right? Should you have that other guy write the love letter to your wife? And the answer is no, (laughs) you you have to write your own love letter to your wife. Right. Similarly, like, could a nurse wipe your nose? And the answer is yes. Go on like Fiverr and get like a a freelancer to to write your, right. And if you had a nurse wipe your nose, would she be better at it than you? I mean, she does it professionally. Maybe she knows more about the nose. Right. And the answer is no, you still should wipe your own nose. Right. Right. Should, should nurses raise children or should mothers, right? Well, maybe an expert at raising children could be quote better at raising children. But, but Cheshire is saying, yeah, but there are some things that everybody recognizes by common sense. We really should do for ourselves. I'm always going to be better at wiping my butt than my kid, but doing it longer. But it does not mean when, when that. When but your I mean, kid needs to wipe his own butt as soon as he can. Yeah, right. he's got. I don't even like doing because it because it should be his to do. And so Chesterton argues governing ourselves is something that a expert could do better, but that we must do for ourselves. Yeah. That's why he's a Democrat. He says. It, yeah, it's interesting. So there's one thing. There's a quote that he says. There's a lot of stuff, but one of them that I thought was interesting was when he said that the cross is a paradox. And that it can grow without changing. I, I don't know if this is connected with what you're what you're saying here, but he's talking. He was talking about it literally scales. the cross, like the, right. literally the, the, the shape. The, like think about the cross, yeah. Like and if you just if those two lines just continue on forever, it can grow, but the shape of the cross doesn't ever change. The, I thought that was really interesting. And but what what is he saying? What is he saying there? It's on page twenty five. I don't well, know. Depending on your publishing, in my right. book, yeah, it's on page twenty five. I'll pull it up. I, I actually just downloaded the book for free. Um, it is in the public domain, so there should be some versions. Yeah. Uh, the version I like, if, if you're going to buy this, there's an annotated edition of, by, of Orthodoxy edited mm. with an introduction and notes by Craig M. Kibler. Yeah. And there are there are a number of anachronisms, like older references of, to people yeah. and stuff in the book, mm. because because Chesterton was, was a contemporary writer. He was writing for people of his day. Yeah. And there's footnotes for all of it. So okay. if you're like, who the heck is that guy? There's oh, a footnote I wondered that about that. It. Yeah. He's yeah. kind of talking at people. I love that. He's it sounds like he's calling people out. Yeah, he does. A good, like yeah. Cr- but oftentimes very graciously, though. Yeah. Like at the beginning of the book with, I think it's the W.E. Streets. Yeah, he's yeah. like, so-and-so said, I'll worry about my philosophy when Mr. Chesterton tells us his. And he's like, yeah. he, he, you said that to a person who needs only the most feeble, like, reason to write a book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was, and that and was so he funny. makes jokes yeah. about, like, in, even when he attacks Bernard Shaw, he's like, yeah. one of the things about Shaw is he can only tell a lie if he thinks it's the truth. <laughs> right. And he's like, and I also feel the same way. So, that so, is funny. He's so good at those, like, one liners. Yeah, yeah. He shows respect even for his most vehement opponents. Yeah. Because he was, he was a contemporary of Shaw's. And Shaw was like a total worldly, like, materialist. Yeah. Like, modernity will solve problems. Science is all there is. Kind of. He was like yeah. a, basically a Richard Dawkins of his age. Okay. Yeah. And, and Chesterton thought that his, philosophy was like the one of the worst possible philosophies in the world yeah but he still engaged with it graciously totally. and he recognized the virtue that shaw wanted to be brave and he wanted to be real and he wanted to be right. honest and he wanted to be truthful and and chesterton rightly was like i see that in him mm-hmm. because if you say well shaw's just lying to everybody he, there's nothing to him people who recognize that shaw was in earnest would be like no he's trying like, I believe right, Richard Dawkins is in earnest wrong. in his atheism. Yeah. I just think he's mistaken. So this is the quote, though. It says, but the cross, <clears throat> sorry, but the cross, though it has at its heart a collision and a contradiction, can extend its forearms forever without altering its shape. Because it has a paradox in its center, it can grow without changing. Yeah. What, so what I, what is he trying to say here? Yeah, essentially what Chesterton says is, if you have to start... So like everybody starts thinking from somewhere, right? Foundationalist philosophy calls this properly basic beliefs. There are some beliefs that are so basic that if you doubt them, you essentially are insane. You go insane. 
These right. are presuppositions. And... Right. So Descartes is famous for like getting, trying to get down to the very <clears throat> bottom. And he, he, he thought, I think therefore I am is, was the bottom. And then oh, you build really? up from there rationally. Now he was like, Descartes, in my opinion, was 1100 years too late or not 1100 years. He was 700 years too late. Cause Augustine said in one of his treatises, I believe therefore I am. Oh, interesting. Which is actually more true than I think. Right. Because are you thinking right? Like what is thinking? Is thinking clear thought? Is thinking rational thought? Are you being rational or right. are you just being instinctual? You so, would say that thought also proceeds from belief at the foundation. I think that I think that I believe that therefore I am is more self-evident than I think. They've ever, because thinking means something. Belief is just the phenomenon that like I believe something. It's just it's self-referential. If I say I believe I'm a human rather than I think I'm a human. The fact that I... I, I know that there's a phenomenon in my mind in which I am persuaded that I'm yeah. a human being. I don't even know what that is. Right. But I know I, I believe it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Whereas to say, I think I'm a human, but wait, what if this is all just neurology? Am I thinking or do I just think I'm thinking? Maybe I just think I'm thinking. See, oh, sure, see like, you sure, could argue that sure. Descartes didn't doubt enough. Whereas, whereas um, Augustine I was guess. like, because I know I believe somewhat, something is believing. Right. So I am right. So Descartes, I don't think he was wrong, but like Descartes, I think a lot of people would argue was the beginning of this insanity. The idea that oh, like really? doubting everything you could possibly doubt actually doesn't lead you to the truth. That's that's there the, are some. Yeah. I think so. The scientific person would say yes, but there are some truths that we find out better that way. And I think Chesterton would agree. But it's empiricism, real. It's real hard to figure out what that is. Yeah, it's, empiricism does. So there were, there were, there were things to learn about the world yeah. that people did not learn about the world until the scientific revolution. To, the, the earth is round. It's a ball. Yes. And that's one well, of And them. that we can create pharmaceuticals and phones and like everything that and, we live in right and now. Planes, that. Right. Yeah, All yeah. that stuff came from an empirical podcast, revolution. Yeah. Right. What, what Chesterton is, is saying is yes, but what can happen though is at some point, the, the this good thing that you're filling out could eat everything else. So if you, if you imagine like somebody who didn't work out or they just, they just went running and swimming. And at yeah. some point they're like, I should lift weights. And all they do is bench press, right? Yeah. All they do is bench press and sit ups, but they don't do anything on their back. They are building up muscle and they're building up natural muscles that are yeah. good. Okay. And in some ways they're growing stronger than they were when they were just running and swimming. And yeah. in that sense, it's a very good thing. And if they get in a bar fight, they're clearly superior to what they were before. <laughs> right. But then all of a sudden their shoulders are hunching forward. Their posture's kind of weird because they're not actually filled out. And okay. I think what, what Chesterton would argue is like building your back muscles to fit your front muscles is like empiricism connected to the right kind of mysticism. Okay. The right kind of belief and the right kind of use of imagination is supposed to go along with the right kind of use of reason. And if you excise the imagination part, mm -hmm. the reason will drive you crazy and you'll become the maniac. Yeah. I wonder how this is played out. And then you'll believe in bureaucrats and aristocracies yeah. and scientific control of society and breeding. Yeah. And you'll become a eugenicist and a Nazi right. and a communist. Psycho. And a, yeah. I mean, I right. wonder how this plays itself and out. He, and he, you, you did ask a question in the thing you sent me about evolution. Yeah, he would I, argue some yeah. ways of believing in evolution are similar to this. His belief about what's wrong with evolution is similar to his belief about what's wrong with Calvinism. There are things in evolutionary theory that if that's what you mean by it and that's what you focus on, it will lead you to insanities. Sure. But he didn't necessarily say evolution is wrong. He said, Believing in evolution like the maniac, like the rationalist or the empiricist will drive you crazy. Yeah. He wasn't literally saying evolution is in fact scientifically false.
Yeah, I mean, it is, but that's a different podcast. A different podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in that that because I'm thinking about like the contemporary church in America, and I'm wondering how, as you're talking about the kind of kind of the mysticism as the back as kind of the backbone that, or I guess not the backbone, the back muscles that, that complement the reason in the front muscles or whatever, and that, that can stand mm-hmm. somebody upright and then they can function properly mm-hmm. that. And, and, and if you try to detach those two things and take them in either direction, you're either going to, you're going to look weird, act weird, function weird, not be able to do the, the mm-hmm. things the right way. You're like do a version of them, but it won't be the right, it won't be proper. Yeah. And so, like the contemporary church, I feel like at the, at, okay, let's just think about like these really popular churches the last 20 years, like the the mega church, 20,000 people, 15, 10,000 people. Do you feel like those churches have, have like the real popular churches the last 20 years have, like the bent has been towards, I want to say it's been towards the reason rather than the mysticism, like the, 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 the mysticism has been thrown out and there's this bent towards the, the reason how, how would you describe these church, these contemporary modern churches in America of the last 25 years? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you describe those are because they become bureaucratic. They're huge. They're like, there's these behemoths. You think of Andy Stanley's churches, like it's like gigantic. It's like a, yeah, is that a billion, a hundred million dollar organization? Several hundred million dollar organization. I would have yeah, to I say. mean, it's when like, I was in the Methodist Church, there was a church that their budget was over fifty million dollars, and so they had to have a Brinks truck come a every year. S- yeah, so they had a Brinks truck come every Sunday because they were taking away a million dollars. How much were you making? I wasn't. No, that was the church oh, in the Methodist Church. There. I wasn't okay. in the church. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a that church, was a goal. church of the Resurrection in Kansas City. Okay. And yet they literally every Sunday there was a Brinks truck so they could load the million dollars in because it was this was twenty years ago. So it was long. This, I mean, it'd be a hundred million dollars. I mean, now. High Point even makes what three million dollars a year, or is that too much? Two. Million? I want to say our budget is two point seven. Yeah, almost yeah, three million dollars. Like it's gone up in the last couple of years. Yeah, right? but you, you got to remember, almost six hundred thousand of that just goes right out our doors. And then another six hundred thousand dollars goes. To, that's your salary, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, no, that's not true. But no, it's not. No, <laughs> no, you only make about half of that. No, uh, just so kidding. just yeah, I get government assistance. What do you mean? Like my salary is such that I can get government assistance. Do you? No, but like, like okay, when Rachel, like when Rachel went get... to college, no. So Rachel has gotten scholarships because... based on our, her family's low income. And that's you make not, like that... $120,000. Well, it's not. So remember that like ministers have what's called a, a housing allowance deduction. Yeah, that happens. So the part that you spend on your housing that used to be spent on parsonages that didn't belong to the minister. So is your whole That house? gets taken out of your salary for income tax purposes. And then colleges and stuff often use that lower number. So like, so do if, you own your house though, technically, or does the yes. church? You own yeah. It? Okay. So people went to housing allowances so ministers could own something. Otherwise when ministers retired, they had nowhere to go. They had nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, but you make like a hundred, you're not like poor. You're making like good money. I don't think money. I should say my salary in this context, but yeah, no high point pays me very fairly and they, I'm able they, to live on the salary they knowledge. pay me. So maybe I was wrong. I said a number, but like it's public knowledge. It's not like, I think the number know. you said is a little high, but, but you got to remember that these days, all of oh, the, I know. all of the I know. like benefits you offer people are worth tens of thousands of dollars. No, I get so that. So if you too. may, if your salary is $50,000, you may you, still cost your employer $110,000 yeah, a year. No, that makes sense. Right. Because they're paying your both sides. They're paying right. half your social security, your health insurance. If you're a family, costs I'm just $20, saying 000. in relation to other pastors, maybe around town, you probably are. I probably make more. End. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the, there's a lot of churches that have I definitely know people. pastors that make more than me, but I, yeah. Yeah. yeah there, I sometimes, because I have an immigrant mother and because Jesus is my Lord. Yeah, sometimes I feel 
anxious about how much money I make. That it should yeah, be less. And then I have other people who are like, Oh, you, you think you should make less. Yeah. Emotionally I do. But, but then when you talk to your family, you're like, okay, I've talked to people in the church and they're just like, I don't know how you can survive on your income. Really? Yeah. Which I think is silly because like, if, you look, at, talk, if you look should, at the median income of people yeah. in Madison, it's significantly lower than yeah, what I they make. should hear. Look, if you think that email me and then I'll, I'll give you my parents' yeah, well, phone but number. But part of it is, is Madison yeah. is like, it's so disparate. People don't realize like at High Point Church, when we did an income survey not too long ago, something like 40% of the students or a little bit more, their, their family income was over $250,000 totally. a year. That makes sense here. And so yeah. because of that, like my kids would go to that school and they would, they thought we were really poor. They thought, like, they thought you guys were poor. They thought we were really poor. And I said, I said, kids, if you yeah. have a choice about what you eat for dinner, if there's any choice about what you yeah. eat for dinner, you're not poor. You're not poor. If, if you have, if you are walking into a house, you're not poor. I mean, in a lot right. of ways. Yeah, that's uh, right. Okay. But Absolutely. what's, what's the answer to my question? How do you about look the, at the, the contemporary churches? church? Yeah. Because so, what, okay. what is Chesterton? So I'm trying the, to think of how critique, we can think about this the, today. I think part of the critique of Chesterton. I shut the window because it's just in my Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think part of the thing Chesterton would critique is that there is a wholesomeness to absolute ordinariness that is necessary for human psychological and spiritual health. So like, and that what happened in the megachurch movement was churches stopped being these ordinary places and they became increasingly exciting places. That's So, yep. so if you're like, if you were like, well, what? Now, on, on one level, the megachurch movement hit on something that was needed. So when, so when like the, the first really famous one, obviously it was Crystal Cathedral, which I don't want to go to that one, but like the, one of the ones born out of that was, what um, year was, was Creek. What, what, what so Crystal Cathedral about? would have been sixties, late sixties, okay, early seventies. So that's kind of when this whole thing started. Yeah. And yeah. so Bill Hybels was going to seminars at Crystal Cathedral in the early seventies. Right. Is that and in LA? Are you talking about like the in, Jesus revolution type thing? Has it come out of the Jesus revolution? I don't know. I wonder. Huh. But essentially like what, um, you know, I did an interview with the lady Schuller, who wrote that book. What book? Jesus revolution. Oh no. Yeah, I didn't release it. I just didn't. So, um, so Schuler, Robert Schuler, who was the Crystal Cathedral guy, was like, "We need to be a, so much more relevant." Hmm. And so, what he tried to do was keep Christian spirituality. So he wasn't a liberal, but he put it together with a lot of the positive thinking stuff, like um, Vincent Peale's book "Power Positive Thinking," or and he began to merge yeah. some of that stuff together. You can see that kind of attitude in like Joel Stein, right? Joel Stein totally, is the one people would associate yeah. with that, like yeah. this idea that like. Think positively right, and you'll right. manifest your destiny in that way that you'll, your destiny yeah. is, it, it, your destiny is what you think about yourself. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Right. And so, so they were trying to find a message for the day yeah. that could be made Christian so that it would be relevant. And then you can find a Bible verse to kind of, the, kind of take the out best of context. Way to, and the best way there. I know of to frame this, to try to be charitable to them, which maybe we don't want to stay there, but to start with is um, what Keller, Tim Keller said about trying to reach people in New York city was figure out the human fairy tale they're telling themselves. Like, what is the story that they're like, this is a great and beautiful thing that I wish to be part of. And then tell them that story in which Jesus is Lord of it. So for example, in, in like liberal Madison, that might be um, unity in multi-ethnicity in which the, the rich don't have too much and the poor don't have too yeah. little. Right. Well, that's a very yeah. biblical story, right? So you can tell a story about a Jesus who, um, 
when he gave manna to human beings, mm-hmm. those who had much didn't have too much and those who had little didn't have too little, mm-hmm. but there was different difference between people and that he's the one who breaks down the dividing walls of hostility yeah. and his son and in, in his, in his yeah. blood. Right. And so you could tell that yeah. story. So you could argue that Schuler and these kinds of people were trying to tell a new story to Americans right. based on the fairy tale they were telling themselves, how do I become all I can be? Right. The question is, is that, is that working? It, like, did, right. that, did it well, work? It, and what so did it I, I would say Schuler's version was one of the more, was one of the worst versions of it. But he was very successful. Right. When you go, by the time you got to Willow Creek, what they did was they surveyed people and said, Hey, what would you like there to be at churches? So Willow Creek is where? Uh, Chicago. And that was how recent? So Willow Creek got going in the seventies. And that's. And Hybels was the pastor up until like six or seven years ago. I don't know how long ago. Okay. Yeah. And and it was because of like, he was starting to transition out, but there was actually sexual abuse scandals that arose. Against him? Against him. Yeah. That that were apparently (sighs) How many people were going to these churches? So, so most I, of these I mega went, churches, when it's a sexual scandal, I'm like, I, I, so I went probably happening. That's probably, yeah, happening. I went to conferences at Willow Creek when I was in seminary Wow. and Willow Creek was in its, its heyday then. I mean, it hasn't closed now. I mean, it has a new pastor and it's trying to like reset itself. For like 10,000 people. It's ten more than that. Yeah. Probably. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But like, um, but when I went there for evangelism conferences and small group conferences and seminary, a lot of what they were teaching was not like false Christianity, but like, how do you make your church more excellent? Yeah. And when you do that, more people are going to come like, right. And so in some ways they were applying business principles to the church. Yeah. And part of that was because things were changing. Like, like as, as simple as people driving cars, mm-hmm. like if you go back not that long ago, all churches were neighborhood churches. Cause everybody walked to church. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you had to hook up a horse to a buggy and go somewhere. Which and nobody wanted to do that. You, know, you gotta get up early right? to do that. Or yeah. even, even to get to your church four miles away, you had to right. hook up, you had to take your horse. That's true. Once people could drive, what driving 40, 50 miles, like driving 20 miles was no big deal. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden churches had the capacity to become regional. Once they became regional, they could be based on affinity rather than neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, once that was true, Business principles could be applied. But also once that was true, you you lose what the local church was created for in the first place. I, at least if you look at Acts and you look at the New Testament in, in its in local community. In that it was community. supposed to break down dividing walls of hostility and therefore you needed a diverse group of people. Yes, that's true. And that you were supposed that it was a local thing. Like the, the, in the same way that your family is local. Yes. You, like I'm not being like, oh, I like yeah. that family. Your I'm going to drive 20 minutes to the person you interact go. with on Twitter. It's the person exactly. who literally is in your life. Exactly. And so what, what happens with these regional churches is that people don't actually know each other in the way that I think the local church was intended for people right. to actually know and, each other. Right. And Chesterton, I'm not sure if it's in Orthodoxy or elsewhere, ex- makes explicit points about that. Like mm. one of his most famous quotes is, don't trust a person who says they love humanity especially if they don't love their neighbor. Jesus, that's a good one. Jesus yeah, never said to love humanity. The Marxists think that they love humanity and yeah. then they murder everybody. And humanitarianism right? The person whole, who loves yeah. their neighbor, who's yeah. the actual concrete person. And um, Chesterton called that something like the democracy of circumstance. Yeah. Like it's yeah. It, like the fact that you can't control it is what makes <sighs> it wholesome and yeah. why you should embrace it. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's all, and, and, and so he would have thought that the modern it, suburban yeah. neighborhood was a monstrosity. I, I could see that because you can like just be around people just like you and who think like you never. Yeah, man, it's bad. It's really and Madison bad. tends to be like that. Like there are people I had, I had to put up a no soliciting sign on my front door because like every night at dinner, some liberal super progressive cause would come by because they knew everybody on my street was a card carrying super leftist because it's Madison and my yeah. neighborhood is that kind of a neighborhood. Yeah. And so they would go around and they knew that every house would sign their thing. And then they got to me and it was like a, like a cow looking at a closed gate. They were like, what do you mean? You don't want to sign my thing that wants to outlaw sugar in America. Right. And I was like, because I, I don't think I'm not a communist. I don't think that's what governments (laughs) should do. Yeah. That's crazy. And I'm like, or that like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just, 
I just didn't. They want and it people, happens like get rid of oil entirely. Yeah. Like, and and, and, and it happens on like, the right, you know, you like can't. it's not just on the left. It happens on the left. And, yeah. And, when and, I was in Florida, the church I pastored, we, I was in a County that voted, I want to say 90% for George W. Bush twice. Yeah. Right. That's pretty, that's hardcore. That's pretty hardcore. Right. Yeah. And, and Same the people as, I pastored it's, there, it's, it's Madison, just the opposite yeah, way. And some yeah. of this stuff, some of that stuff feels really unhealthy, really in lockstep. That, it's like, terrible. I lived, I mean, I, I've been around the ultra conservative, ultra Republican mm-hmm. communities so there. I mean, in, in some ways I'd rather be around the liberal communities because the ultra conservative, ultra Republican communities, the difference, like the, they're angry. I guess they're both angry and they're bitter, both but so it's angry. just like, I just, I don't want to be around it. They're just, just, just shut up. Like everything's just annoying. They both, they both can have similar phenomena. Like they're and not yet, really they, interested in talking about it's the things. things that they, it's the things that they believe that are different, but the way that they talk about it, the way that they act about it, the way that they, they live their life, it's all the same. It's all like, they all act, talk and do the same things. They just believe differently a little bit, just a little bit. That's, I like Deneen saying Republicans, and Democrats aren't conservatives and liberals. It's liberal and then a little less liberal. Like that's basically what it is because both of them are just trying to preserve everything that's theirs all the time. And they don't want anybody to touch their stuff, but they're just functioning in a slightly different way and pretending that they're like, one of them is more socially liberal. One of them is more economically liberal. And that's about it. Mm, Okay. Maybe if you know, I I don't know. Uh, I I I think I know what you're getting at that. Like they're, they may look very different in certain ways, Yeah, but kind of the like, the selfishness, the not wanting to talk yes. about issues, the not yeah. wanting to see what other people are saying, yes. the those human instincts still the, emerge, the, like, even the though tribal, their philosophies are different. Yeah, the the like mm-hmm. the primal tribal, the like the vicious. I mean, if you bring up a different idea, like hey, like what if Donald Trump didn't become president? Like you like F, get out. Like it's like this crazy. Like you're the problem, and it's like. No, that's, that's called like an alcoholic family. Like that's a, that's a real big problem. Like if you can't bring another idea to the table, your community sucks. But yeah. And I think that, I think part of this is, and I, so to bring this back to Chesterton, I think what Chesterton wants to say is the only healthy and spiritual way to live is to accept the, the paradox of that, like you're made in God's image and you're wicked. So like when you have this view, like, let's say I have a conservative view. And I have like my arguments, right? I know what liberals say yeah, and I know what points. conservatives say. Yeah. And I know why the last good reason is a conservative one. And then a liberal person says, well, have you ever thought of this? Yeah. And I haven't thought of it. And I haven't ever heard that before. What's my emotional reaction? And my emotional reaction right. is fear, right? Yep. Because you're, because. Because something that I had settled that I felt yeah. like I could rely on and I had security Seems and just got now. unsettled. And where on one level I would want, I would wish creativity would take over and be like, oh, this is fascinating. Maybe, what ends up maybe the world is different than I yeah. think it is, but the the actual first feeling that it's I emotional have is emotional defensiveness. You start right. to deflect, and then, and then you defending. start to get, and then you probably start to get angry. You could see this happen in real right. time when Candace Owens was on Joe Rogan, and he started to push her on the the climate change stuff, mm-hmm. and she was like. I don't believe that. And he was like, why? And he starts bringing up all these studies in favor of global warming. And she's just like, you could see it happen in real time. She had never researched any of this stuff. She believed it on the, on the basis of what she thought was in line with the party, the political party that she aligns with. And then she started to become like emotionally reactive to it in a Mm -hmm. deflecting, like in an arrogant deflecting kind of condescending way to Joe Rogan and Rogan. I don't agree with Joe Rogan, but I was like, right. But You've never thought yeah. about and this, have, and she wouldn't admit. I never of, thought about part this. Part of the issue too is, is that in our public life, with with people who are talking heads like that, yeah. and this happens with pastors they can't as be, well. Yeah, is you have it's like you have to be able to quote the study because Ben Shapiro can do it. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like what I would have said is if somebody said that to me, 
I would have said like if like you're Joe Rogan saying that to me, I'd say I'd say Joe here here's the thing, I can't debate this with you in real time. Yeah, I don't carry around these numbers with me in the head. Here's what I know. As I've spent hours and hours listening to people on this, yeah. I have just found the people who doubted the party line, so to speak, on this, yeah. just more credible and more persuasive. You know, so where I'm at right now is that I believe in a certain kind of climate change. I believe that climate change is going to yeah. change things and affect right. people's lives. I believe that we need to do certain things about it, but I don't believe that we should destroy human societies or create wars yeah. on the basis of like the like rash things that we do because we're being reactive. Now, if I was Joe Rogan, I'd ask you if you want to go smoke weed next yeah and i would be like no i think i'd rather do a hallucinogen if we're gonna do drugs all right <laughs> but i wouldn't do, do either do. I, I and and i, I wanna, wouldn't do the workout though i would do the workout the and the cold Rogan. plunge and then i don't just think i could do the cold plunge it the, sounds pretty awful i uh, i tried it in high school i do really cold showers i'll turn my shower all the way to as cold as it can go and i'll take my shower cold Showers for about a, five minutes and i think that does have a positive effect it does but it's a luxury um, you know it's like saying i think it does get know, down to almost 50 degrees I think to get the cold plunge effect, you've got to do it for five minutes. It's kind of like saying I drive exactly the speed limit. Yeah. I would just be like, you can do that, but it, I think it's it does, probably safer. I think it does physically but I'm, never, I'm not going to do that. I think it does physically help me to take cold showers. Um, I know some Catholic parents that take cold showers and then they pray for their kids. Okay, but in that situation. And they, they're, they're literally offering, they're offering the discomfort to God as part of a, the sacrifice of prayer. And I don't know. I, I mean, I want to be like, I'm not sure that does anything, but I on some level, I think it's kind of a good Okay, sentiment. but it's kind of like the people know. who like hurt themselves, you know, like to, yeah, to I would, suffer yeah, I wouldn't with go Christ. That far. That's crazy. Yeah, standing in a cold shower doesn't hurt no, the it, good it's body not, God has given you. But it's like that in that kind of a headset. And it does toughen way. you up. Head, head mindset. Yeah. Andrew gets back to say headset. It's mindset. I think the point mindset. of asceticism is to toughen yourself up yeah. and not let yourself just go soft and to go along with just like yeah. going with all your reactivity. Okay, you want to know what I would say to Rogan real quick? I would I think I would even I wouldn't even go as far as you went. I would just be like, "Look, man, I haven't read enough on this. I just don't have an opinion." Like, yeah, I'm going to by default take the conservative opinion. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. You can rip me to pieces if you want to, but like yeah. I just don't know enough. And yeah. I think that if 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 Candace did that, I would just say there's I would have so much I would more say, respect. So many lies have come out. Yeah. On the It's hard to know what's pro. true here. Yeah. And so and some of the I mean some of the people I've heard that are skeptical of this One, I mean, this is one I struggle with this. I feel like evolution is similar to this when there is a quote scientific consensus that's getting pushed politically. And then when people want to interact with it, no one will interact with them. Mm -hmm. They're just like, no, there's like radio silence. Yeah. Right. My response to that is I distrust the people that are doing that. That feels like a power play. Yeah. And I don't trust power plays. And then it makes me weary of everything else that they say. Yeah. And so on one level, like I find some people that talk about evolution very credible, Mm -hmm. but then when there is a creation person who says, well, let's debate this. And they're like, no, I'm like, wait, if it's so easy, why don't you do it? Like just, just debate them. Yeah. And when they won't do it, it, like, I'm like, I'm not saying you're wrong, but like that doesn't help me trust you. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Though It's really hard to have a good debate nowadays. Right. Like no, what I you know. see, like the, the, the Gavin Newsom and DeSantis was a great example. It's like a, they just yelled over each other and they talk over each like, other. Particularly, Both of them particularly have, Newsom talked over DeSantis, yeah. but most aggressively. And I thought, right. But clowning himself, though, Hannity was definitely asking very Republican-y questions. Yeah, Hannity, right? you know. But one of the things I liked about that was if you watch that and you're like, these are such Republican questions. You're like, yep. And all the presidential debates are the opposite. They're these uh, other that's true, liberal that's questions. True, that's true. Yeah. And so they're gotcha like if, you, if that yeah. bothers you watching yeah. that on Fox news, the other things should really bother yeah, you too. Right. Yeah. Dude. I agree. So, okay, so, so there's three quotes that I want to go through before we stop though. Okay. The three quotes. First one is 
uh, I thought was was interesting. Chesterton said, it is an act of faith to assert that our thoughts have any relation to reality at all. And I, th- I thought that that was like an interesting... It was faith to say that? So he said, it is an act of faith yeah. to assert that our thoughts have any relation to reality at all. And, and I know that if you take that to its conclusion, you can become kind of an equivocating postmodern Nothing is true. How can we know? Everything's everything's relative and about how you look at it. And and I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. But yeah. I do think that in some sense he's saying for the for you rationalists who are who are kind of living in that circular circular rational mindset, uh, you're you're already acting on faith in that you believe that the things that you're thinking actually have any relation to what's happening in reality at all. And I thought that that was actually a good point. I think that that's something that a lot of conservative reformed Christians don't even take into consideration, Mm -hmm. you know, especially for people who believe so much in the depravity of man, you would think that there would be more thought on like, Oh, am I absolutely completely, totally 100% correct on everything that I'm saying all the time? Cause that's kind of what you get for some of these people. It's like, I'm always right. And it's like, Mm-hmm. You should, which is a really weird thing for a Calvinist to believe. Yeah, right. Like they, they I, like they, Catholics. You, you I can see Catholics the least willing to say exactly. I can see Catholics anybody. thinking that because they think that like you know reason they're not totally corrupted by sin or whatever. Yeah, but I it's would like, think fine. that a Calvinist and an evolutionist would be in, on similar grounds. In like, who knows if who, we're right who knows here? If I'm right. Yeah, because the evolutionist believes that their mind has been ordered for survival, not it's, truth. It is funny right? how So they the sense which their mind can yeah. know the truth is because their mind has been ordered for survival. Yeah. Survival is in some ways rightly related to reality. Otherwise you'll die. So, yeah. so there is some sense in which your mind would evolutionarily be ordered to reality. Right. But right. there's other ways in which the actual test feature is not truth and falsity, but survival and non-survival. Yeah, that's true. And so therefore, can you, you can, you couldn't, you could, believe some of your mind because you've survived this, your line has survived this long, but, but right. your mind is ordered to survival, not truth. Right. Yeah. Similarly, the Calvinist believes that your mind is made the image of God. Therefore you have the capacity for reason, but depravity is in everything. Yeah. And so yeah. how do you know when depravity is screwing something up, but when yeah. it isn't, it's really difficult. I was, so I would think the evolutionists and the Calvinists would be similar grounds, but I actually think that they're both right. Like, I mean, the human mind is a yeah. muddle of all kinds of stuff and it is hard to know when you're, and I think for somebody for listening sure right. right now, they might be like, okay, I'm Calvinist or maybe not, or I just am more conservative in my faith. I'm more reformed and I feel really confident. This has made me, which is a case for a lot of Calvinist reformed people is that they, I don't want to say that they're wrong because I actually agree with them theologically, but yeah, it I'm oftentimes, on board right. It oftentimes feels theology. like when I talk to them that their belief in the Calvinist, the, let's just say the, the, the Calvinist uh, systematic theology is a emotional uh, safety net for them that they can, mm-hmm. that it almost doesn't feel like they actually are that bought into the theology as much as they're bought into what the theology does for them and how they emotionally interact with the world and that it can make them feel safe even when things don't seem safe in the world. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not yeah. saying that that's even a bad place to be. If that's, no, if that's I, what's carrying your faith. I think God don't. wants us to have a certain kind of assurance. Yeah. But I think that it can be a dangerous one though, because in, and then, yeah, then you God will has, be shut God off. has given us a person to find that in rather than a systematic 
set of thoughts. And his name is not John Calvin. It's not John Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So what is, so how can young Christians so, think okay, about... Before, before we go yeah. on from that one, though. Well, I was going to ask a question yeah, about that one. So I, I think one of the things that, that Cheshire says, I think this is one of, his, one of his key points, right? Is he says, basically, if you trace your thought all the way to the bottom to these properly basic beliefs, right? You have, you get down to some beliefs that you have to accept on faith. If you accept them on faith, you can proceed with reason to all kinds of healthy and good Conclusions, empirical, commonsensical, mm-hmm. philosophical, mm-hmm. imaginative. Mm-hmm. So, for example, God is three in one. Yeah. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Right. That we are in some way predestined. Right. There are things that that strongly work to determine the actions of men. And yet we yeah. are fr- we are free enough in our will that we are responsible for what we do. Though, like these kinds of like almost paradoxical ideas that are really Chester hard to Tim hold would in say head. good luck to the rationalists. Right. And, yeah. and Chester would say, if you can accept six or eight of these like paradoxical realities as truisms, yeah. as real at the bottom of reality, then you, from them, you can use logic and you can build Tot- yes. an orthodoxy. Uh, yes. But if you reject those and you just try to take reason all the way down to the bottom, you're going to go crazy. You, you can't get to the bottom. Yeah. And then you know everything that you've built on top of it isn't built on the bottom and you don't know what the bottom is. Especially if you look at the world, I I think in some ways from God's perspective in that all of the things, I'm not talking about social constructs. I'm talking about God constructs. Let's just call them God constructs. The world is a God construct. It's constructed by God to work within a particular way. And, and, in, in one of those ways, reason and logic is one of the metaphysical ways that the world is naturally made up in, in that, that what upholds the world. And I'm saying, I'm saying the world, not like physically, but just what uphold, upholds things that are in some ways is logical it is and rati- reasonable rational. And that's why it's discoverable within, within the construct of, of, of the world that God has created, the universe that God has created outside of that universe, the, the, Whatever God exists in, what, let's just say the God's universe, God's universe is logic and reason might not even play a factor, or mm-hmm. may, maybe it plays a very small factor. But there's like a hundred million other things all happening at one time, and and He's imputed a little bit of that logic and reason into our the construct that He's built in our world, right? Yeah. Like, and that if you think if you think that you figured something out with logic and reason, you've only figured out a small portion of what's actually happening behind right. the And the danger of over applying that thing you found out through reason, you can is lose enormous. the rest of God, right? You, you lose everything else of, of right. Jesus and you become the maniac. Yeah. That's and his argument. Correct. That's a, that's like, I, I can't, and that, that's not a statement against reason. No, it's a statement for reason in its proper place. And reason is a bad God. Yes. Yeah. If I mean, this is, what, this is what you find in all the Anglophiles, all these like yeah. English writers of, of this time in modernity. Because they're seeing is this Is that first they hand. see a world completely given over to new idolatries. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're like, you guys, this is going to kill everybody and ruin everything. And it's going to get us some stuff. We're going to get some stuff. Yeah. But it's going to ruin our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, th- I mean, just think about like, it's almost Christmas. If you're a Christian, it's almost Christmas. Mm-hmm. How emotionally not, excited like, about, are you about Christmas about celebrating the holy day that is in in reference to the birth of Christ. Like you're going to eat normal food. You're going to be with normal people. You're going to have like, and the, the reality is, is that modernity has killed our hearts. Mm-hmm. Like we talk about like being expressive and being authentic, but we are men without chests. We're heartless people. Yeah. And so all that's left to express is, is same, our sensuality. Yeah. Which and, is the same thing that everybody else is. Expressing. And we think that that's authenticity, and which it is, doesn't make you it, an individual. It is authentic, but it's subhuman. 
like we make yeah. ourselves animal and then we're authentically animalistic yeah. and we think we're being good and we're not. We've actually right. excised. We've gotten rid yeah. of our capacity for good. We live as animals. We do what we want. And then we say, oh, we're good because we're being ourselves. It's the question of slavery. It's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're you lose our, your mind and you become a false self is yeah. Our slaves, our slaves authentic. Well, if by authentic, you mean they're working within the only thing that they can work within, which is the slavery, then yeah, sure, they're authentically slaves. But if they were to exist yeah. outside of that and be who they were actually created to be in freedom and right relation to God in virtue, they would actually be slaves to the right thing. The question is a question of who you're going to be a slave to and what thing is going to produce like true biblical yeah, what freedom. What does the in, slavishness yeah. of the slavery yeah. arrangement produce? Yeah, right, right. To be right. a slave of God is to be his son. Yeah, exactly. Which or makes you everything you're meant that. to be in exactly. the image of God himself. To be yes. a slave of sin is to be ever reduced to sin itself. Exactly. Which is the most broken and deformed way to there's be a human being until there's things. nothing left. Yeah, freedom isn't just doing isn't isn't uh ambiguity Freedom yeah there is a slavery that's a loyalty yeah and there's a slavery yeah. that is a self-destruction right not right. all slaveries are the same yes okay so my next quote real quick we got to be done like we got to get done but this i'm going to put this on a golden plaque and put it in my house this is my favorite thing in the whole book it's, it's one of the two favorite things my favorite quotes in chapter five thinking in isolation and with pride ends in being an idiot that's one of my, <laughs> i love that quote i just think that's absolutely that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if, the, I mean, it's very clear in what he's saying here. And I think yeah. that this is another to the right and to the left in Christianity. Most, both these groups oftentimes right now in America are thinking in isolation and they're both coming to like idiotic, prideful conclusions in, in some ways. I think some of their conclusions on the right are more true than the ones on the left. But I think that, that most of them are idiotic, like, mm -hmm. and they're not, not being able to actually have a conversation with a person that disagrees with you makes you an idiot. And I think that that's kind of what he's saying here. Now, I don't know how that works out in a world like we live in yeah. today. Because well, and the reason for it is you end up denying a bunch of stuff that's real. I mean, that's what Chesterton's about. And you will deny some of the most important, most wholesome things. Now, if your presupposition is like a poesis and, and mimesis, that thing, like, I don't know how to work this out in the modern world that like, I, I think if, if you believe in a, a poetic view of the world, almost everything that you construct out of that is probably going to be false. And I think that that's where the conservatives are like, how am I supposed to have a conversation with a liberal, lowercase a liberal, who has built their liberalism on the negative view of liberty, which proceeds from poetic view of the world? And I would say like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to have that conversation because everything we think we did, I disagree with them on. How do you even do that? So I don't, I don't, well, I think orthodoxy is Chesterton's attempt to do this the year it was written. Right. You so, think so he starts with things that he does think people can't, the common person who has not ruined their mind can't not know like that. They believe that democracy is better than aristocracy. Sure. That they believe that a certain amount that they believe that there's a way in which fairy tales are sane, mm -hmm. more sane than modern novels, for example. Yeah. And that in that in connecting connecting with something solid where these people still exist, and then to draw them to where he thinks they should go, yeah. and I I think that that's I mean Chesterton's whole tactic here is he says you know I tried to create my own my own heresy and in the end I found out the my great punishment was not that I didn't get to keep my philosophy was that it, somebody had already discovered it and it was orthodoxy 
right? Huh. Like part yeah, of it he was, did say that. Yeah. He, mm. he says like the pagan person who goes out and tries to destroy their religious faith yeah. ends up coming back around to the extent to which they're sane and recreating it. Yeah. Interesting. If, if they're actually connected to the world as it actually is. And so he start he, he goes to what he thinks is still sane in right. his culture for one reason or another. And then he tries to build from that. And I think in that sense, he's a very good bridge builder. I also think he writes in a literary and poetic way. Yeah. It's so even good. though it's rational. And I think he's trying to aliven that mm-hmm. in the reader. Sometimes you got to read the sentence over and over to right. fully understand what he's saying. Right. Like his statement about in the maniac, about the guy who thinks he's Jesus Christ and his appeal to him. Yeah. <laughs> of that Jesus, another Jesus Christ could be better. Those three sentences are, heartbreakingly beautiful yeah they're good if That's you read them stuff. slowly and think about them or the the if you read this slowly and think about it thinking in isolation and with pride ends up being an idiot if you just read that over and over again it's poetic heartbreakingly beautiful yeah yeah and so, it, yeah. idiot in that context means somebody caught in the the repetitive circle of insanity yeah someone it goes around and around and around mind. and around they and around, don't yeah. think outside yeah um, whether that's a certain way of thinking about modernity rationalism evolution yeah, right um calvinism i i Arminianism, remember I've, I've seen some people do this with catholicism too yeah that you know if the church is supposed to be unified and catholicism says it's the one true church and they get caught in like one of these logical turns yeah. and they go around and around and around and it just like eats them alive. And instead of becoming Catholics, they lose their faith. And yeah. it's really sad. I right. Think. I think what, what's good about what things, especially because that has nothing to do with the validity of the gospel of Christ. Like right. in, in some ways it does, but that has to do with the mission of the local church right, but, rather but than what the, it brings up is the disappointment in the church. Yeah. Right? Whatever. Anyway. So I think one of the things that, that he's getting at, that's really important. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm losing my thought here. Yeah, sorry, go ahead and read whatever your last quote is. Well, the last quote that I thought was just super funny, um, he says, they stand at the crossroads and one hates all the roads and the other likes all the roads. The result is, well, some things are not hard to calculate. They stand at a crossroad. <laughs> I think that's so funny. Uh, and it, it's just like the way that he, um, which I guess this is kind of gets to, I think this, maybe it doesn't summarize everything, but it feels like it's summarizing kind of where things are at. Um, but I thought that that quote, just like they stand at a crossroad. Cause you, you, I started reading it being like, okay, what's going to happen? Which direction they're going to go? And he's like, this isn't difficult to figure anywhere. out. They don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they just stand at the crossroad. I just thought that was funny. And then I was like, yeah. you guys got that crossroad church, right? Isn't that yeah. one of the churches you just got? Yeah. So, you well, know. no, that yet. I mean, we're in conversation with them. No, this is a prophetic, you know, you guys aren't going to go in. Like, it's just going to be, you're just going to stand at the crossroads. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. No, I, but a crossroads is a good place to find people and direct them on a good way. Yeah. Well, this, you know? so what is, is he trying to, so what exactly is he trying to say here in the crossroads? Is that just like these two ideal, the two ways of thinking about the world are, are, I guess, what is he trying to what, say? One of the things, things he says in the book is, is that there's a way in which pessimism, in which optimism, nobody can respect the wrong kind of optimism, hmm. but pessimism is even worse. Because it's the pessimist tells you what's wrong with the world and almost, and almost takes pleasure in the fact that it's like that. Yeah, that's true. Man. As opposed to like really mourning the fact. Mm-hmm. Like when I, if I say, look, Republicans and Democrats just don't seem to be able to get along. And I say it with a kind of smugness that like, look at me, like I get that. I see it. I see it. Right. From, and yeah. like, and, I, and it's almost like, ha ha ha, they're just going to destroy each other. It's like, no, I, like the right response here would be crying. Like if I, if I yeah. like connected with it emotionally, like I should, I would like, I would be crying right now you'd be, you'd be, and being you'd be like, this is so sad. It's yeah. such a terrible 
thing that the peace people who are neighbors in my country, who people who could love each other and right. and have a generation of life together on this earth that could never be had again, that they should spend their time hating each other and not seeking to understand each other, but instead to, to like seek to just dominate the other one in some blood sport of politics yeah. until we actually start killing each other yeah. is the saddest thing. One of the saddest things I could possibly yeah. imagine. You know, who I think does a really good job of, of, of walking that line. I think John Piper does a good job. I in think some his ways, Christian I, I hedonism thing is good. Like that, that he, yes, he's a Calvinist all the way, but he is primarily focused on joy that you need to find joy. Like the Calvinist view can make you think everything's depraved and sucks all the time. And you just yeah. have to exist within that. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is the genius of Piper's ministry. Right? Yeah. Obviously Christian. Hedonism. Like when I listen to him, I feel more encouraged. Yeah. He's like, this should be encouraging guys. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's true, but I do think that there are very obvious Mm-hmm. side roads in Calvinism totally, where just totally. people thinking reasonably can easily get on these side roads yeah. and it gets them in that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're in this cul-de-sac and they're going round and round and round totally. and shouting at people. I agree with that. And yeah. I think it's, but I, but I, I do think that's true of any philosophy. Mm-hmm. I think in Calvinism it's easier because Calvinism yeah. is a little bit more like, like rough and ready, simple, mm-hmm. like simplified in certain ways. It, whereas in yeah. Catholicism, it's such a winding jungle of thoughts yeah that I think it's a little bit less likely for that to happen. It is. It seems but I like see people go around around circles on like the hail Mary and stuff and <laughs> rituals. I mean, it's, it could be anything. I mean, I think Satan yeah. will use anything, but I think it's interesting that, uh, it almost feels like the problem isn't with the philosophies or the theologies. It's with the mind. It's <laughs> with like the human mind fixating itself on things to get it. And I, and to get itself, it's fixating itself on these things to get itself out of the thing so that it can do the sinful bad thing that it really wants to do mm-hmm. and it's not has really nothing to do with and, and that's why i think uh, like and Justin is trying to say this i think it has nothing to do with reason this has everything to do with people not being able to fun- like mm-hmm. reason would tell you properly it would tell you that you need the other side of it the paradox the romance the whatever mm-hmm. it is that was what reason would tell you that what you're doing in your circular mm-hmm. logic that just keeps running amok and you and making you want to leave whatever you can see as christianity mm-hmm. that's not reason that's that's vice that's sin that's that's yeah. that's the opposite yeah i mean one of my quotes i say over and over again that you probably hate is the problem one of the reasons we're all fighting with each other is not because everybody's wrong but because everybody's right and that's why nobody can give up their view and actually find any unity. Yeah, I do hate that. Yeah, and it's, and it's because the thing that will free you, like if you're trying to figure out why Republicans are wrong, the way to free yourself from thinking Republicans are right is to admit what they're right about. Mm. If you'll actually listen to them enough and figure out what they're actually right about, what they're really correcting, that the reason why they can't accept your liberal view is because they're actually right about some things mm-hmm. that you won't accept and you won't admit. Mm-hmm. The reason you won't accept and admit them is because they would break up the systematic security of your liberal thoughts. Your I agree thoughts. with that. You're and not so saying you would just, always, if you would just be like, yeah. yes, actually conservatives and Republicans are right about these seven things. And they're yeah. actually, they actually destroy my philosophy and its coherence. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Progressivism is destroyed by them. The Republicans are right about those things, but the same is true for Republicans. If Republicans would admit what progressives are right about, right. the clear, clean, systematic nature of their safe, secure Republicanism would be shattered. So because I, the poor wouldn't just be the that. villains that they think yeah. they are. They would be these problematic people that are both responsible for what happened to them and in yeah. need of our help and that we are responsible towards. And then it's like, well, crap, <laughs> you no, know, I, I and libertarians are maybe the worst. And yeah. You're, you're not saying that they're both all right. You're no. saying, you know, no. I don't disagree but with even that. critical theorists are right about some things. But I would just and say the moment you admit what they're right about, 
you can then summarily dismiss yeah. all the other crap they're wrong about. I would just say everybody's mostly wrong. That's also true. Yeah. So I would just say it a different way is that we're not fighting over what we But the disagree. reason why they we haven't give agreed up their on that, all, 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 the, so, but if wrong. you say, why won't progressive person X or, or ultra yeah, conservative Y build give up their, their view? Entire, and the answer is, yeah. well, it's that, but it's also, Andy, that they are right about some things and in their heart, they oh, know totally, it. Totally. And they don't want to give up things that they think are right. And because the progressives won't admit those things are right. That like, for example, yes. if you give people stuff, it's a four step steps to entitlement to where they're not really doing things vigorously for themselves. Yeah. They're expecting you to do it for them. That's right. human nature. Mm-hmm. Conservatives know that and mm-hmm. progressives don't want to know that. Mm-hmm. And progressives are wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Right. If progressives say, you know, you're right. If we give government programs to people, what it's naturally going to produce in people is people who aren't vigorously doing things for themselves. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Well then what are we going to do all your social programs? And the answer is, well, we don't freaking know. And the answer is yes, because there is a paradoxical problem in the human person that if you help people when they really need help, you can help them develop and get better. But if you give people crap, it also degrades them and they stop doing things for themselves. And that's because human beings are broken, wicked and evil and without Christ centralized Mm -hmm. redemption. Mm -hmm. They won't take your help and become better. This is exactly why I'm not. That's why they need Jesus. I hate Republicanism, but I love conservatism because the conservative, the truly conservative view says, yes, people do need help. They need help. So how can we help them to get them to a place that they can actually function on their own? And that's what my goal is. Now, Republicans oftentimes don't want that. But I I think ultimately the biblical Christian says something like this. Yes, but neither of them work without Jesus in the end. I agree with that. Because the human person is too problematic. And conservatism is conserving the Christian Because Republicanism, I mean, Doug Wilson, to get back to him, he said, great republics can only survive if people have Republican virtues, that is the virtues you need for a Republic to exist. And he said, and those can only be created by Christendom. Exactly. And so without, without a Christendom. So he's like, we don't literally have to be a Christian country in like a handmaid's tale, but a broad swath of people have to hold these Christian values. That's exactly what I was saying. To have the virtues of Republicanism so that you can have a Republic so that you can have a Democratic Republic. You have to agree on an ethic. And if you, and if your philosophy of democracy is progressive enough in the secular sense that it undermines each individual person needing to develop Republican virtues, Jews, i.e. from Christendom, yeah. so you destroy Christianity, you don't have a people who can have a democratic government. Right. They're not good enough to be Democrats. Progressivism only works on top of uh, the moral ethics of Christianity. Right. Like that we said, in, like we said in the four hour version, the liberal, it's a good second story, it's but a it's a terrible story. foundation. It's a terrible foundation. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. We got to be done Great. because it's 1045. Okay, I just want to, I want to note this. This was a terrible podcast on the first four chapters of orthodoxy. Um, <laughs> there is so much more good stuff that we didn't mention at all. Well, like there's amazing so much quotes and amazing ideas yeah. and inter- really interesting thoughts and yeah. his most controversial thought about the ethics of Elvin that we didn't even touch on. So, so, and we'll maybe do more on those, but uh, the goal of some of these podcasts is just to make you want to go read the book. Yeah, this is a great and, book. In my view, it's one of the top 12 books in the English language that I've ever read. Yeah, maybe the top great. 10. Yeah. So go get the book, read along. And then the next one, we'll talk about the other chapters yeah. just so that you don't feel like. And the Craig Kibler version has the footnotes in footnotes. it, but yep. you can find some of that online, but mm-hmm. really the text speaks for itself. You can just read right. over the names because it, it doesn't really matter. And for, for you to feel like you didn't waste your time, Nick, we get Spotify wrapped every year. So it like tells you how good your podcast is doing. Uh-huh. We're up 88% in listenership from last year oh, on cool. Spotify. Now Spotify makes up about 40% of our listeners. Mm-hmm. So Apple makes up more and then you have like Google and all the rest of them. So we're up 88%. Hundreds of people have us in their top 10 on Spotify alone. So if you like do the math, you know, it's like 
across all of the platforms is probably thousands or whatever. You could do the math. I don't know how to do the math, but so, so a lot of people are listening to this. So you didn't totally waste the last hour. Well, and a half. Uh, one thing I know is that my daughter Rachel listens yeah. and I would do it just for that. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't, but yeah. that's oh, fine. So I, we should tell us this. She texted us and yeah. said, in fact, she does not use Instagram to get porn. No, it's Snapchat. Snapchat she doesn't use Snapchat, Snapchat porn. to get porn. Yeah. And something I remember, she was just like, she was like, I did like the right. podcast mm-hmm. just so you know. Right. It is true that I don't use Snapchat right. to get porn. Which was, which was kind of the point we we're trying to weed that. We did that for our podcast just so we could figure out if she if was she actually was, yeah. using Snapchat. Yeah. But I do it. I do concede that my daughter, Rachel, is not the average person. She right. is far greater than the average And I wonder, you person. should ask her if, like, if she thinks that what I said about that generally was true. Oh, I think she would concede that the vast majority of her peers do use that. Snapchat and other social medias for things that harm rather than help them. Terrible. Yeah. And Absolutely. so I don't think she would disagree with me. No. Yeah. No. But right. she would say she her goal is to grow in maturity so that she can bear the thing. Which that's a whole nother question of like, yeah, should we like, even try? I don't think, I don't even think you should try with that. Rachel, mm-hmm. just give it up. Give it up. <laughs> Delete it. It's not going to help you. Um, text people. Okay. Thanks to everybody who's listening. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Give us a five-star rating and we will see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>